welcome to this week's episode of the Back to Back Films Podcast. This week we're doing something a little different and covering one film, and that is Pulp Fiction. We'll be covering the legacy of the film, Tarantino's process to get it made, why it's considered one of the greatest films of all time, and more. As always, in order to have the best discussion possible, we recommend that you watch the film we'll be discussing before listening to the episode because of the potential spoilers. Uh, this is in case you haven't already seen this film. Uh, I'm your host, Keith. Uh, hey guys, this is Byron. And I'm Jake. All right, how's it going? Another week. Man. Another week. Another yeah. one. <laughs> Another Tarantino. <laughs> the uh, most underrated director of all time, Tarantino. Probably with his most underrated movie of all time. <laughs> yes. I Frank, I actually, I have, I don't, I can't even... Th- this movie sucked. I don't, I don't know what to say. I'm trying to. I was trying to formulate a joke, but I just couldn't do it. So that that's that was it. I mean, I mean, I don't know. Like it's it's Pulp Fiction. I mean, I feel. Yeah, it's either what we're gonna say. People are either gonna agree with, or they're gonna be like you know yeah. anti. I don't yeah. know. Plus, you can't joke about it. No, no. This is gonna be. This is gonna be the most serious podcast. This will be joke free. <laughs> we had too many jokes in the last one. No, no. I know. Yeah. It was too well, fun. like Jackie Brown, that was like a jokey one. But Pulp Fiction, nah. This is like dead serious, like filmmaking. You know. Well, it is dead serious for me because this was a first time watch. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. I, like how was I was like, oh, man. Because for a second, I was like, no, it's... Wait. I had to, like, think about it. I was like, oh, man. Keith, you motherfucker. I think the reason why it's going to be so serious is it won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. I mean, that's a pretty prestigious festival and, you know, the... the the most you know the pre- the premier festival in the world yeah. so you know i think uh if the french people love it or the french film <laughs> actually that's not even true because the jury <laughs> the jury at the campo festival is even french yeah i'm sure it's like mostly white <laughs> it, it changes every year <laughs> what is, what White people can be French, though. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, it's actually yeah. it's actually kind of cool Hollywood how they people. do the the right. film festival. Actually, it's pretty pretty cool. Every year they they um they pick a, a different jury and a different president of the jury. Um, so you know, like it's been Tim Burton, it's been Clint Eastwood, it's been um you know actors, it's been producers, and they change it up quite a bit with a good mix of foreign and um women and uh men filmmakers of all sorts it's pretty cool um and that's actually the next week or the week after is the oh really the the new one the the next next can so i'm I'm stoked for that because there's some good films it's my 2017 yeah whoa it's my dream to go there eventually oh yeah that festival Yeah. yeah i mean I have two dreams. One, to just be there, and then two... To be in it. To be in it. Yeah. Like, to have yeah. a film in it. Like, not necessarily in competition. I mean, that would be, like, legit. But even if it was out of competition, if it was just playing at the Cannes Film Festival, it would be a complete be dream come true. Yeah. At what... what like, what if you, like, PA'd for the movie? Like, would you still want to... Uh, yeah. You, it you'd would, be excited. It'd be, I'd, but, be, I'd, be, oh, I'd be totally thrilled, but... It's right. it wouldn't fulfill my dream though. <laughs> what's what's the like highest tier job on a film that where it would fulfill your dream? Like would you have to be a director writer or could you do like 
editing or could you do color and oh, like editor what for sure i'd be yeah. i'd be thrilled if yeah editor cinematographer yeah uh, if i did color yeah i would say i would totally if, if you did the lighting what about the lighting as design a, as like a gaffer yeah totally yeah sure. i mean like i guess I'd i mean lighting design with, <laughs> is cinematographer though i'd be happy with right with any of it really but I think right, it, but what what would fulfill your dream? I, okay, for like me, what, it yeah. would be like the lowest maybe would be that I'd feel really really good about it would be being invited to the press conference when you're up there with the director and the actors. And you, oh yeah, and you get asked about your you know so like the a art. producer. Not, I mean that would be cool. I'm just so not a producer type that I'd want to be more of the creative part of it. Right. So I'd, right. I'd like, but I mean. I don't know. That's tough. I mean, that's such a, that's a tough question. I don't know. I mean, I've, for me, it's like, did I affect change on the movie in some sense? So, like, did I – For I would if I was a colorist, yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. Assistant editor, totally, because you likely had a hand in, like, cutting a scene or, you know, some chunk, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. something something has your name on it in there. Yeah. Like some edit somewhere, yeah. Because you'd mean, be integral to the film, to the look yeah. of the film, and you're a key member of the, you know – if you're a lighting guy, then like you're on the cinematographer's team of like mm-hmm. you know close right. We're, you know you're working with him every day. So yeah, so like I mean, it's it, it's like can I throw my name at, at the movie and be like, hey, see that scene where the yeah, car yeah. took a left and I chopped it to you can see the guy in the car and then come back out of the yeah, car like yeah. that was me. Yeah. <laughs> Hire me for the next job. You know, like, yeah, that, that I shit. did this. Yeah, like you have your your reel and it's just like <laughs> that one. Yeah, like, you know, it's it's just like a little clip from Pulp Fiction, like the one cut that you did. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, I mean obviously the dream is to be the director. I think for sure that's the dream. Yeah, that would be oh, yeah. the coolest. Yeah, yeah. I mean just to have a film that you were part of, like even if I yeah like you said if i like p8 or if i mopped the floor before the crew came on right like it would be cool right. it'd be like man that floor is clean in that movie because I cleaned it, you know like right because it's all what if you, what if you had important. to lick the floor though would you still feel yeah definitely <laughs> that's giving yourself to the movie man like you know what like if i, if I had worked on full fiction i'd be like you know what uma thurman did not get athlete's foot because i licked those floors <laughs> yes were and those feet i licked those feet too i don't know if tarantino, would be tarantino wanted me to <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> he filmed it it didn't make it in the movie though he probably would want to do that himself. i was just gonna say yeah like, i don't know yeah like, <laughs> not, right like, i'm not hating on any foot fetish or on tarantino I, it, but yeah like that's right yeah he's got a he's got a foot thing for sure yeah which we covered in the last because like walking like looking at this movie again like she is basically without shoes the entire film for the most part yeah, yeah. and the whole i which i i the whole thing where she got a foot rub from the guy like that whole plot element i totally forgot about that and then <laughs> i i was when i saw that i was like "Ooh, <laughs> the foot fetish begins it's where it all starts dude <laughs> super hard yeah yeah it yeah, starts this like the this first subtle one, yeah. subplot what this was the first one because like i think we said on the last one too he only does women's feet and there was no women there were no women in reservoir dogs so right yeah but, which that makes sense because men men's feet are pretty gross yeah, like they're that, hairy they have the little mustaches on the toes sometimes and <laughs> well it'd be weird some gross things about men's feet dude it could be weird to have like 
a straight guy like filming close-ups of like dude's feet in a movie you know what i mean like at least i find that would be just kind of weird like, <laughs> I mean, it makes, maybe if it was bare feet, yeah. But I mean, yeah, if it was shoes. Like shoes or something, like I can see that. But like, if it was like bare feet, it'd be like what? You'd really have to po- have a point. Yeah, and, and, and have to it. like somehow work within that. Isn't that a trip though? Like here we are. Like yeah, if it was a man's feet, yeah, you'd have to have a point. But if it's a woman, a woman's feet, it's like show it. Let it be gratuitous, whatever. You yeah, know? no, that is it's, right. it is kind of fucked up actually. I mean, that that is just kind of our culture though, because women are a lot more exposed. Yeah. In, in general, than than men, men are a lot more covered up, you know. Well, yeah. Like when you go to the beach, like men are wearing more clothes than I, I guess women are wearing. You know, if they're in a bikini, it's the top and the bottom. But like men are covering up more, more. Of their legs, like they're like yeah. long shorts. But like a, I guess if it's a swimsuit, like a one piece, that that does cover more. But it's just like we want to sexualize every part of the woman, you know, even the feet. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. Well, you know, what's weird about it too is like I, I don't think women want to see dude's feet either i think they'd that's much true. rather see other i don't think anyone wants yeah, to see I know, that, that's feet. the thing is i think uh, <laughs> women would actually prefer to have just other women's feet up it's not going to bother them. <laughs> well also foot fetishes in general seem like a like a male thing yeah yeah you're right yeah I, yeah what female has a foot fetish that's gross <laughs> yeah i've never God, that's I've, that's it's gross probably man. a thing but i've never really heard women, of anybody that unless she's like unless unless it's like a lesbian or something Right? I mean, I guess. I, mean, I guess that's two there's women, some though. nice feet that do, like dude, dudes can have nice feet. Well, you clearly know, they have lotion and stuff. I love that we're talking about this. <laughs> Tarantino will probably listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because like I, I, I feel that people have talked to him about his foot thing, but I don't know exactly. I've never really been able to to hear what he has to say about it because. I think that's a part of his thing is, you know, people know about his foot thing. Um, but I don't know if he's he himself has actually like talked about it or even uh, acknowledged people's questions about it. You know, because I'm sure like I mean, out of all the interviews that he's done, you know, that someone has brought that up. Oh, yeah, totally. But I've never actually heard him actually talk about it, you know. Right. Well, yeah, that's a good point. He's probably like, that's, that. that's personal. So I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> I wonder if, like, his 10th film will be, like, it'll be called, like, Feet the, ten the, to- the Ten Toes. <laughs> and it'll just be, like, maybe he'll dive into men's feet in that one, and it'll be, like, crazy. Like, it'll it'll win the palm to whatever, and it'll be awesome. It'll be the most artistic movie ever made. Um, I don't know. <laughs> just 90 Isn't that a great premise? <laughs> Bunch of feet. Yeah, no, I, I, I wouldn't jump on board on that one. I mean, it I'm, could be a it could be a whodunit. <laughs> Maybe it could follow a bunch of feet around, and someone gets stabbed, <laughs> and then it just follows. There. And then you got to figure out which feet did it. Okay, but that's actually not okay. If it was bare feet, it, that's kind of a terrible premise. But if you just followed <laughs> shoes around, actually, that would be really interesting because. This is something that's always stuck with me is uh, Ryan Johnson. You guys know who Ryan Johnson's, Ryan Johnson is, right? Uh, yeah, he directed that. He's directing that really small movie that's coming oh, out. Yeah, it's called, right. like, um, oh, what is it? It's part of some franchise, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, 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 it's a tiny, this indie movie called Star Wars. Oh, it's really I've small. heard about that. I've yeah, heard yeah. The, the yeah. critics were talking about it. 
talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm sort of excited for the new one. I don't know. It's you know, it's indie, so it's like weird art film. Like I feel like it's probably not going to capture all of America. You know what I mean? I know, there's just like, no co- mass appeal like, for it. Like colored swords and stuff. Like I don't know how popular it's actually going to be. I, 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 that just can't be a thing. You know what I mean? Like, who would like colored swords? That's so stupid. And lasers? Yeah, lasers. Like, really? Oh, lasers so are cliche. fucking lame. So cliche. Yeah. So if you're a normal person and you knew Ryan Johnson, you know, before his indie status in this gigantic movie, you've probably heard of the mainstream films Brick and Looper, Looper yeah. and Brothers, right. uh, Brothers Bloom. Bloom. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, so. Yeah. Um, but we, we like the more artistic films like like star wars the last jedi that's our yeah work it's all about the low budget stuff you know like yeah million dollars or less type (laughs) of thing yeah yeah um okay so but uh so yeah he in this interview i read that he did um this is really interesting thought that he had that really stuck with me this and still stuck with me he's like you can tell like to him the in terms of costuming a person like the shoes are like the most important piece because you can tell everything you need to know about a person by the shoes they're wearing so like for example in brick brick is supposed to be a uh in the noir detective genre but it just takes place like in a in a high school um so joseph joseph gordon levitt's character wears like dress shoes but they're really worn so like he the idea is that he's like trying to present himself as like kind of this uh you know like like real detective or like like a formal person but he doesn't have like the means to wear the clothing that he wants to and it also shows that he's like always out and about like he's worn these shoes down you know he's like mm-hmm. like the the sides are rubbed down and they're dirty and stuff like that so like you know he's doing something you know where he goes like if your shoes are muddy they're not muddy if you're wearing boots versus converse versus dress shoes versus heels like it all tells you a different thing about the character just literally by the shoes they're wearing so that always to me it was like you know that really stuck out and it's like just totally true because like you wouldn't have a guy dressed in a nice suit wearing construction boots right that doesn't make sense you'd have him wear something that makes sense and if someone is wearing construction boots you would assume that they're doing something heavy duty because you only wear those types of shoes you know or but, running shoes nike sh- nikes or something you know but also if someone was in a suit and had construction boots on that's like such a specific thing that like yes that seems really odd but that almost like you can almost like figure out what that like why they're in, like why are they wearing like it just causes you to wonder exactly you know what i mean like why why are these the shoes that this person is wearing you know yeah ex- like more so than i mean the whole costume informs the person right whether they wear like just a white plain tee if they like to wear plaid long sh- long sleeve shirts you know stuff like that but i don't know in more like because you could have someone wearing a plaid long sleeve shirt that's like rolled up on the arms or whatever and they could be wearing a variety of different shoes but the specific shoe that they chose is what really informs their stylistic choice of how they dress and and who they are right like that person could wear converse or they could wear nikes or they could wear like even dress shoes with a look like that you know like or how people dress today how the hipsters dress today like with the kind of old-fashioned like boots or whatever the low-cut boots or whatever so like you know that it just informs you like it informs where you're going who you are what you've done 
you know where you've been where you yeah. where you want to go maybe like right so it's funny because like the film that comes to mind is like paul thomas anderson's uh inherent vice because like joaquin phoenix's character in that movie he's barefoot actually wear shoes yeah. a lot. yeah he's like barefoot so like when you first see him like i don't think you realize he's not wearing shoes but you see his clothing and you know of course it takes place in the 70s and you can't you get kind of a feel for his character but then when it's revealed that He's like walking around the streets without shoes on. You're like, okay, so he's that type of guy. You know exactly. what I mean? Like, like you uh, know, you know that he's kind of more of a, you know, uh, laid back kind of more of a hippie type character um, than you would have if you had just seen him wear. Um, if you hadn't seen the fact that he was, you know, was wearing, you know, yeah, shoes. I think he actually wears like flip flops part part of the time too, which is essentially almost bare feet. But yeah. that informs you like he's. He's not trying no, to dress, yeah, right, exactly. to impress. And even when he goes into places, like, to talk to, like, Reese Witherspoon's character when she's in, like, a fancy-ass office, he's just wearing his, like, jean jacket and jeans with, you know, <laughs> flip-flops. Like, yeah, right. so, like, I don't know, shoes. But that's what I'm saying. Like, if you had a movie where the premise was, like, you just saw shoes, then you could actually pull it off, you know? Right. You know, but that's that's not what Tarantino would do. No, clearly, he just wants to see. <laughs> that's, <some>. not, <laughs> that's not true to Tarantino. No, because they have shoes on, and he needs to see those women's feet. I know, and the dudes, especially Uma Thurman. That's just that's his woman right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that is his woman, dude. Yeah, we'll talk like, about that more with Kill Bill too, for sure. Right. Yeah, but dude, I look at Uma Thurman, and obviously she's been in a number of his three three of his movies. Has she been in more? Um, like Pulp three. Fiction, Kill Bill, both the Kill Bills. Um, yeah, I think, that's, I think it. that's it. Yeah, still a lot. Um, but when I look at Uma Thurman, that's like if I were to like imagine the type of uh, woman, like the look of a woman that Tarantino would like. I I picture Uma Thurman, and I picture um, the uh, chick from. Uh, fuck the Grindhouse movie uh, Death Proof Like Just like Almost like that Wait which one There's like six of them In that movie Well like the main one That's like dancing In In, in the and, bar and, At the beginning Oh, oh first half. yeah yeah the, yeah Yeah in the first with half the dark hair Where she gives What's yeah, the name the dark hair. Actually I think they were a thing Right. Yeah, I'm serious. I'm That's serious. Awesome Cause like There's like this weird And it's It's not It's not like it's almost trashy like it's almost like a trashy kind of look um but it's it's like i, I don't know i feel like trashy might be yeah, the dude, best word for it like, i think he likes trashy looking women it's like with the tattoos <laughs> and stuff it's just his thing well I th- it's funny because i think like if you yeah if you google him with that chick like it'll pop up like you like i think they were uh, an item for a little while no way. Yeah. Kind of so yeah. See, I'm, I'm right. But like Uma Thurman, I mean, she's she's not really trashy, you know. No, she, I wouldn't say she, she's, she's not. She's like, you know, in. I don't think they've ever been a thing, though. I think it's just kind of like a. I kind of think they were though too a little bit. It might have been like a like a really either short or really 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 low key thing, but I don't think it was like something that was super serious. If it happened at all, like yeah, I don't. It's weird because like. I mean, they because they've both talked about it, especially Uma Thurman recently. Because um, like the, she, oh. she was invited, um, I want to say she was part of the can jury or something like that when um, one of his films was shown um, there out of competition. Crap, I, I don't remember now. He had films think, shown out of competition. It was, Weird. I think it was the Hateful Eight. I think possibly. Um, 
it was like I forget now, but uh, she was there and was invited, and, um, and and of course you know all the people you know because you know the history with Uma Thurman and Tarantino Clearly, at yeah. the Cannes Film Festival is a big thing. Uh, you know all that stuff was brought up, and yeah, it was interesting. There, all that stuff's on YouTube though, so. Cool. Yeah, we're like the e we're like the EU of, of podcasts today. <laughs> <laughs> the T yeah the, the TMZ of the TMZ yes the TMZ Tarantino. <laughs> um, TMZ T as a little aside too, if you want to see Uma Thurman in a badass role, watch an Infomaniac. Oh yeah, she's incredible in that movie. Who who is, who is she in Infomaniac? She plays the wife of the guy who's, uh, like, cheating with the main character or whatever. Uh, so she, like, shows up with okay. the kids and is, like, having this mental breakdown while she's going wow, around. That's like crazy. This is who you're cheating with me with, huh? This is what she looks yes. like and where she lives. Look, kids, this is where she lives. And then she just, like, screams and her face gets super oh, red. yeah, I remember and, like, that. Just has this yeah. crazy breakdown. So good. That performance, yeah, was definitely her best piece of acting in, a, in quite some time. Yeah. Like, that God, was... That is, yeah. But Lars von Trier is so good at getting actresses to act, like, in different situations and we've seen them before and it's brilliant like Bjork yeah, yeah. Bjork yeah. Kirsten Dunst and Charlie Gainsbourg sure. I mean like they pull all like all of their all of their performances also the chick from Breaking the Waves I can't remember what her name yeah, is Emily, but that role uh, is gnarly Emily's. dude I still think about that the scene where he's like they're lifting her off the boat and giving her back to the after yeah. the whole dude that's still stickless for some reason that just really like <laughs> bothered me so much nice so brutal in the cool dude I like it when movies you know? do that oh yeah yeah god I uh, mean yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Lars von Trier, man, we're gonna have a whole thing about him. Oh, too. he'll be a part of a <laughs> yeah. masterclass series for sure. Yes. his movies are his movies are so different. Like speaking of someone who's like an auteur, quote unquote, in theory, like that, like, his movies got such a stylistic, specific stylistic look. The themes are mm-hmm. usually the same, and like he really likes like female characters, you know, solving problems and stuff. So. It's his movies are incredibly interesting, and I haven't seen all his movies either, so that'd be a good excuse to watch them all. And his yeah, that's a good films idea. Are way different too. Yeah, like uh, Europa, and what or what is it called? Yeah, Europa, it Europa? Epidemic, and uh, um, oh my gosh, uh, Epidemic, Europa, and Europa's uh, the one where like it happens, like a lot of it happens on the train, right? right? Yeah. And they use like projection a lot. Yeah, yeah, that movie's a trip. That movie, like, yeah, and the narration and this. Yeah, the images. Yeah, so we'll, we'll definitely cover him, and then I've, I'm really excited for that one. Yeah, that'd be sweet, because I've only seen, like, two of his movies, so. Oh, man. <laughs> so, yeah. They're brutal. Busy watching Disney, dude. Busy watching. Dude, you're going to save your Disney, because you're going to need something to make you happy after his movies, man. <laughs> oh, Antichrist, too. Antichrist is, like, one of my favorite movies. Oh, of all yeah, time, Antichrist. Dude. So good. Yep. Antichrist. Yeah, so good. For the longest time, I called that my favorite film. It, it might still be. It's, like... It's like a toss-up now between the Neon Demon, Only God Forgives, and Antichrist. I mean, those three. Oh my God. Those three for me. Bring are it. Like, oh. Who? Who's the director of uh, Only God Forgives? Who is that? <laughs> Nicholas Winding Refn. Oh I can't remember it. I just. I can't. Re- I've, I haven't heard that name before on this podcast. Oh my gosh. Okay. Go, who is that? Go watch Ghost Refn? again. <laughs> go watch Ghost again. <laughs> <laughs> I like me some Whoopi. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Ghost 
is actually the shit. Don't fuck with ghosts. We'll talk about ghosts, I'm sure, at some point, for sure. You guys just, you guys are so, like, film student-y that you, you can't yet appreciate ghosts. Have you even seen Ghost? No. Ghost is just not See? enough of a film bro movie, man. Have you seen Ghost, Keep? I've seen parts of it. Okay, uh, so I, I like. I like. You know, like, you guys gotta watch it, man. It's good. I mean, because like, totally. I, I do. Gets bad rap. The thing is, is like, I I like um, Showgirls. You know, so if I like Showgirls, I'll probably won't mind Ghost. Isn't Ghost like a low key like romance though? Not like. Well, I know, but I mean, like. I, so I could people, tell you guys so what Ghost is. <laughs> I mean, the premise, everyone knows what the premise of Ghost is. I, I feel like you could, What do you think the premise of Ghost is? He's a ghost. And they fall, she falls in love with him. That's kind of what I feel. Like, I feel like she falls in love with someone that doesn't necessarily... Like, she can't maybe necessarily... Uh, like, she's falling in love with him, but it's not going to actually be able to... Uh, uh, turn into anything because he's a ghost yeah or something like that i don't know oh my god i love this so much i have no idea i uh, <laughs> <laughs> when we watch ghosts on the podcast or we'll maybe, have to go or, back or and maybe she is the ghost and, like, like, i love it the six well, i love this thing. we might need to know. not do this via like web chat because your boner is just going to be so big the entire time <laughs> i just don't even want to deal with some it's it's a it's a ghost boner <laughs> though Wait, is, so it doesn't Pat- it doesn't count is it patrick swayze in there that's who it is yeah yeah hmm. anyway demi moore Patrick Swayze. Okay, I'll, I'll watch it for Demi Moore. Dude, she's uh, she fucking kills it, man. She, and Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg, which she actually does a really good job in this movie. Oh, like wow. really fucking good. Like it's pretty impressive. Should we do a Demi uh, Demi Moore pairing? Do that movie with uh, like GI Jane or something? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's that one with Michael Douglas where like she's his boss, and she like forces him to kind of like mess around with her and then she uses it against him as blackmail it's not the game is it no it's called um fuck i have the movie uh escapes me at the moment but it's actually pretty good it was uh filmed in seattle too oh nice yeah it takes place and was filmed there oh right on kind of cool all right so yeah our main topic uh this week is quentin tarantino of course good segue fiction right I don't go. I don't need good segues, man. I just keep it rolling. This, this podcast is going to be known for like it's abrupt. Like it's, it's like not. It's not even edited. It's just abrupt. Like. My segue just like abrupt stops. Okay, my segues the first episode were epic, and it's just gone downhill. I set the bar too high, and so I know I can't reach it every episode. But yeah, your segues. I know. Were. You, now you can't improve. You can only go down. Yeah. yeah. But our segues that it, it, when we're actually just like conversing about topics are pre- still are still really good though. I try to, like, move yes. us on to stuff that, you know, yes. connecting ideas is good. Um, so, yeah, made in 1994. The film was written and directed by Tarantino, of course. It was produced by Lawrence Bender, Danny DeVito, actually, Richard Gladstein, Michael Schamberg, Stacey Scher, and the Weinsteins. Uh, it stars Tim Roth, Amanda Plummer, John Travolta, Samuel Jackson, Bruce Willis, Ving Rames, Rosanna Arquette, Harvey Keitel, Tarantino, and Eric Stoltz. A film was shot by Andre Sekula, who also did. So these, all these people that I'm going to list off next were actually all part of Reservoir Dogs as well. Uh, so Andre Sekula was a cinematographer. It was edited by Sally Mink, of course. Production designs by David Wasco, and costumes were by Betsy Hyman. Um, 
Pulp Fiction, like we said earlier, won the Palme d'Or at Cannes that same year, and it went on to create a legacy in cinema. Uh, actually, interesting little anecdote that they like to tell is that the it, it showed at the New York Film Festival was the next festival it went to, and during the heart stabbing scene or the where they're trying to pump her with adrenaline or whatever, someone actually had like a heart attack during that scene, so Whoa. they actually had to like stop the movie temporarily, <laughs> and you know deal with that. So did did they just take the prop and stab it in the <laughs> other guy <laughs> they're just like oh wait let's use this bad joke dark humor or someone just like oh you know just stab her it's gonna be cool it'll work <laughs> yeah we're good <laughs> get her in here <laughs> um we'll fix it in it? post oh i was watching an interview with john travolta when he's talking about pulp fiction and he actually thought He's like when that when it happened because he was there, he thought it sounded exactly like his sister, uh, because his dad had gone to the Palm Dior show or the the Cannes showing, and then he went to the New York f- uh, Film Festival showing. So he thought his dad was the one who had the heart attack. So he was tripping out when it first oh. happened. Yeah. So that's a interesting little anecdote from them. Damn. But yeah, Damn. so the movie was that intense <clears throat> for someone. They actually had a heart attack. Yeah, I think my be. grandparents, they went and saw the movie when it came out in theater, and I remember um, my grandma saying that that scene was was hard to watch, you know? Yeah. Like, she had, you know, they hadn't quite seen anything quite like that before. <laughs> compared to, like, the other scenes, that scene is, like, some of the most, like, real, dr- like, there's drama, right? But that scene felt like a real thing that could actually happen. Cause, right. Because at that point, you're you're so involved in Vincent Vega and Mia Wallace that you you want them to be together. There's a connection yeah. there. You're you've just hung out with these characters, and then when that shit happens, you're like, oh fuck, oh fuck, like yeah, like you know, don't die on me, Mia, Mia or whatever. Isn't that what he says too? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, right. Don't it, you fucking die on me. Yeah. So like, yeah, it, it, Tarantino there really knew what he was kind of doing with all that right it's i mean good. it's it it's sort of like when you kill off an animal you know like in a movie like a kid's dog mm-hmm. like it's like that's so sad because it's like you've been with the dog the whole movie but then you have these two characters who are like there's you know something between them it's really subtle they're kind of falling in love feels really real you yeah. know and he has to <laughs> go touch her boobs and stab her in the heart, <laughs> which, which is something I That's noticed kind of this time around. Though. He he actually has to do, he actually has to stab. He does stab her, right? Yeah. Like the whole premise of that sequence is that <clears throat> it's a uh, he's you're taking the boss's daughter out. And you're trying not to sleep with her, essentially. Yeah, but he does actually stab her with something. He penetrates, like, her. penetrates her exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but just and in, it's in like her a, you know. In her like breast, a semi-sexual, plate, you know what I mean? Spot, yeah, it's yeah. like semi, and he he has to like feel around her breasts in order to do it. Like it almost feels like it. It feels like movie sex to me. You know, like yeah. the me- metaphorical movie sex. Yeah. Well, it is because I mean, yeah. like you have like the froth coming out of her mouth. Like he rips open his her, you know, her blouse or whatever, and like her. Yeah. They use lipstick to yeah. draw the yeah to draw the circle. You know, we got Rosanna uh-huh. Arquette and Eric Stoltz's character kind of just like looking on, kind yeah. of voyeuristically, and 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 then that that, that other thud of the, like when they like when mm-hmm. right right here on the breastplate and they're like that that sound that, that sound, it makes that is so yeah. like yeah crazy. you know like yeah i mean like it, it sticks with you all the, the little the little things and and then that other chick 
this is kind of also there, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, she's, like, commenting. Yeah. Yeah, 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 so, like, also, if you think about it, too, like, the pacing of that movie, you know, besides, like, the initial scene with uh, when they're in the apartment, the big kahuna burger shit, like, the whole movie's been fairly, like, l- like low-key pacing, like, fairly slower pacing, but that scene comes out of nowhere, and then it's just high tension for, like, you know, however long, eight minutes or ten minutes, however long the scene goes for. And then that's also a scenario that 99% of people have never had experience with. So you don't know what to actually expect when that's like, how's the scene actually going to end? What's going to happen when he actually stabs? Like you are with like Eric Stoltz is like, he's like, is she supposed to just come out of it? Or Travolta's like, you know, is she supposed to come out of it? He's like, I, that's, I guess, you know, he's like, do you know, I can't remember exactly what he says, but he's like, you know, I'm curious about what's, what's going to happen too. Cause he's never even done it. And he deals heroin, you know, like, so like, right. here we are with them. Like, I didn't know what was going to happen initially. Like, do they just come out of it? Or like, is it like uh, they open their eyes and it's cool. And then she like freaks out, you know? So you're just kind of like, Holy shit. You know? So you get that, you get all this tension and then like this big, surprise that kind of explodes in your face you know yeah <laughs> that's why it's sexualized just god damn it think about what you just god. said god damn it that was not so much tension tension in my loins sexual tension and exploding all over your face <laughs> or in your face like, it's funny because like the whole god. the whole setup is actually like super brilliant because you have the whole scene of tarantino or uh, of uh john travolta like shooting up right and He's talking about his car and all, you know all that, and then he's driving, and you know it, it's it's actually quite extended. Him taking heroin and, and the long scene, you know, yeah. like. Mm-hmm. But then when it's over, like you actually don't really remember it, right? You don't re- you don't really remember that he's on heroin. Besides, like a few times when like you can tell he's just kind of like checking things out when they go to Jackrabbit Slims, and he's kind of looking around, and he's like, point, you know. That's when you can tell he's high as shit. You can tell he's, like, high, but, like, Mm -hmm. but you kind of forget that he's, like, that, like, heroin has been a part of this film. And then when, you know, you know, Mia Wallace, like, I'm going to go powder my nose and, and, you know, and she, you know, see you're, you know, doing the cocaine and, but you, you're not connecting the dots that Uh, at one point there's going to be a possibility that she's going to somehow accidentally snort the the heroin, heroin that's in cocaine, yeah. you know the jacket yep. but then when it happens it's it's done so well where like some people aren't going to catch on to it you know when she's like fumbling through his pockets and finds the bag but some people are going to look at it and then they're going to know they're going to be like oh god oh please hopefully yeah, she's not going to snort that yes. like she was snorting the cocaine in the in the yep. in the restaurant yep. and then the tension is there and then when it happens, and you know he's talking to himself in the mirror, you're like, "Oh shit! Oh shit! Oh shit!" Mm-hmm. This is brilliant. I don't know. Like it's, I, I loved how they kind of did cross cutting for that scene, and how like I, f- I feel like a normal way for you to shoot that is like to have her snort it, and then have John Travolta like see her snorting it and then see his reaction to like it right away you know what i mean but instead they pop there tarantino pops him over in the bathroom and then she does it without him noticing and then it holds there's like a shot of her and it's like holding on her and he's and you you're listening to him and he still hasn't realized that like she's done the drugs but like like six seconds into the shot suddenly you just hear him that shift in his voice and it just seems like a really 
interesting way to shoot that. And I don't, I don't know if that's because maybe they didn't like the take of, of, um, of uh, Travolta coming in, or if maybe that's just how they ended up shooting it, or or, or maybe they liked it that way. That's a good. Point. I thought it was cool. It's like one point. of those things that, like Tarantino, right? Most people think of him as uh, a director. I mean, as a writer, not so much as a director. You know, like yeah, like. But this is a, a perfect example of where his direction comes in. And I think he is underrated as a director, uh, as someone that is positioning his actors and telling his actors what to do and, and, and to how to say certain lines or whatever. Like, I think that part of his filmmaking gets overlooked sometimes. Yeah, um, because his dialogue is, and his characters are so... Yeah. yeah. But like, at the yeah, forefront. The way, so unique, yeah. But, like, the way he sets his shit up, though, is so... It, it's so good. Um, but his, 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 his writing... He, is so good that it sometimes overshadows how good he is with his actual actors. You know what I mean? Like, well, during interviews that I watched uh, in preparation for this, multiple people said that this was the best script they'd ever written or uh, he, they ever read. And Samuel L. Jackson actually said that he read it twice back to back in one sitting. Whoa, that's cool. Yeah, like he read it and was like what the fuck and he says like I had to flip it over and start it again because I, I didn't he like got it but it was so like mind blowing that he had to like make sure that he got <laughs> yeah. it you know Man. so that's a trip that's sweet yeah um Speaking of writing, uh, Roger Avery actually wrote the basis for the script that would eventually become Pulp Fiction. Uh, he and Tarantino planned to do a trilogy of films with the same characters, quote, floating in and out with different weights depending on the story. Uh, mm -hmm. Tarantino's section became Reservoir Dogs, which he obviously went on to direct, and Avery's section titled Pandemonium Reigns became uh, the basis, and actually they grew it into the Golden Watch story in Pulp Fiction. Um, and this idea for a three-part horror anthology actually came from uh, or the idea for the anthology actually came from a three-part horror anthology called Black Sabbath made in 1963 uh, and that's where they kind of got the inspiration to like do this this trilogy of films and actually what they initially wanted was that it would be Tarantino would direct one Avery would direct one and a, a third director that never was realized would direct the third one you're going to love that movie, dude. If you ever see Black Sabbath, Black, you're going to really like it. I want to watch it. Yeah, it's good, dude. If you like Suspiria, you're going to like Black Sabbath. Oh, it's it's yeah. some <laughs> awesome shit, dude. Sweet. I want to watch it for sure. Especially if like, it has some basis as to like how this movie came about. I think it's important to watch. Um, so, yeah. Oh, actually, here, as an aside, on this rewatch, um, I definitely got more of, like, a horror vibe in this movie, especially with the basement scene. Like, that scene's actually kind of scary. And, like, they're actually, like, you know, you get all this, like, black comedy in this, like, in this noir thing. But for some reason, this time, I was just like, wow, like, I've watched a lot of horror recently. And it was like, that scene is, like, you know, it's like, it's messed up kind of horror you know like it's not it's not traditional horror but it's something about it just this gave me this vibe that was like and it could have been the weird like the the transfer and the contrast kind of made it look different so it kind of gave it that vibe mm -hmm. more but like i don't know it for just to me personally i definitely got more of like a horror vibe from this movie and actually yeah. just like how <laughs> serious and brutal the movie actually is too like when i first watched it the first couple of times i was kind of yeah it's you know it's a light movie whatever you know it's kind of playful here and there and spurts of violence but you know they're kind of just like 
whatever. Like, ah, I shot Marvin right. in the face, man. Like, you know, just this casualness to it, right? But then, like, I don't know. This time it was just it just kind of hit me. Um, that, that's it. That's interesting because that the the pawn shop scene where like they get raped or whatever. Yeah. That like they just happen across the pawn shop. Like it's not. Yeah, exactly. Y- you know what I mean? And it, and they just they go in there and then they get captured by the guy and they're already weak and it just like it's so gross you know what i mean like it's so just like gross human beings you know what i mean exactly like these these are the worst of the worst people like here in this pawn shop and when you actually and they just happen to go there exactly that's what i'm saying when you talk about the setup like you just did where they say they just happen upon it that's such a horror movie setup like yes they just, you know, it's like Evil Dead. They just happen to go to a cabin where the, a portal to hell exists. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's a, such a horror movie thing to do. And here you are with people who have this, you know, fetish basement or whatever. They keep someone in a trunk, like, you know, a mentally disabled individual in a trunk, bound up. Mm-hmm. You know, he's... he's they the, all, the gimp. Yeah, the gimp. They have all sorts yep. of devices down there, like a room specifically already set up just to, like great people like it's insane how horrific that scene actually and you know he that's straight out of horror movies for sure it's so cool yeah it's like uh, oh man there's so much to talk about uh <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like what, better get started yeah it's like <laughs> Oh man, I lost it. Let's see. Like, like, there's, <laughs> like there's like the whole um, like I know that uh, Deliverance, the film Deliverance, was a huge influence on Tarantino, and like uh, his mom had him uh, went to the theater with him um, when he was probably too young to see that movie, but it stuck with him. And the you know the idea of you know it was like Burt Reynolds and these guys to go out on like a on a, like a, a tr- little like a canoe trip out in the the bayou or whatever the swamps and stuff and then they run into these hillbillies and you know their their friend gets killed and you get you know they one of them gets raped and stuff like and it, like how horrific that film was at the time and then mm-hmm. how he uses that and it makes a little homage into you know into pulp fiction but how it comes off as horror but as it's also a reference it's also mm-hmm. something that um, makes sense in this world. It's a, it's not, not something that you could put into any movie, but because right. of all the things that have happened previously in the movie, um, and the way his, you know, the Tarantino quote, you know, universe, how it's how it's presented to the viewer, you immediately buy into it. You don't question the fact that these guys are, are as terrible as they are, right? Like, totally. if you were watching um, a movie directed by Spielberg and that happened all of a sudden, it'd be completely different because you're like, well, is, does this actually work in the film? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, right. Exactly. Like, where, but with, with, with Tarantino with the, in Pulp Fiction, what, so again, so groundbreaking is the fact that he uses these different references these different tropes and of different genres mixes them all together makes it work and then he cuts it all up in different chronological order yeah like yeah i mean it, it, and people say oh he's just copying movies but it's more than that because he's taking an element that worked in a movie and then he he actually kind of raises that um 
the, the stuff that he's referencing, he's actually raising that material to a degree right. and using yeah. it, it, it for his it's own It's like purpose. sampling. He's like yeah. sampling a movie sampling. I think exactly. sampling, because that's actually what I was going to say, too, because overall Pulp Fiction is kind of, from beginning to end, a mishmash of other movies, mostly from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Um, but he basically does, I mean, Scorsese does the same thing. Scorsese has literally pulled shots from other movies and remade the shots for his movies. The mm-hmm. difference is, is when you're, if you're copying something, you typically just do it without knowing why you're doing it. It's just like, that look cool. Cool. I'm going to copy it. Tarantino knows why it's happening. He's not just copying it willy-nilly. He knows these movies. He knows so many movies, so many people who are involved with movies, why things were happening. You know, like, it, it, it's not just right. blah, 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 blah. You know, in, in Pulp Fiction, it's it's kind of what makes the movie. Like, that's that's kind of like what it the movie is. You know what I mean? But, like, um, you guys are going to have to help me with a filmmaker, but uh, the, the guy who did The Revenant... Oh, Alejandro. Um, Alejandro. Yes, yeah. but he, um, <clears throat> not him, but the dream sequences in The Revenant, they're like a, very similar to a certain filmmaker, a foreign filmmaker. Um, I want to say it's a Swedish filmmaker. Do you guys know what filmmaker that is? Um, Bergman? I would guess. I don't could know. Could be Bergman, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure. Oh, really? Is it Bergman? I don't. Oh. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyways, he... he um, all those like the dream sequences in Revenant are are pulling from this certain filmmaker could be Bergman, um, and it, they're kind of used to like it's almost like he dreams in Bergman land, um, sort of a thing. And uh, I guess what I'm what I'm getting at here is like that was like really intent like one specific like really intentional choice to like have the dreams be this kind of style sort of a thing, and he. They pulled from all these. I imagine, like maybe they were when they were putting together their lookbook or whatever, they uh, were pulling from these movies that, of this filmmaker in order to like show what the dream sequences are, um, in order to talk about it and to build it. Um, and it, to me, that that's just like what filmmaking is. You know what I mean? It's literally it's it's taking things and building on top of it and and that's kind of what tarantino does here really well is is he takes all these old stories um and redoes them you know everyone does it too everybody like lion king is fucking hamlet you know what i mean and uh exactly how many like titanic is romeo and juliet uh there's Every movie is just a retelling. Like imitation is the best form of flattery. You know, it boils down to to that because in a lot of it too is respect. You know, like you have yeah. Lars von Trier, who his favorite filmmaker is Tarkovsky, and you can see the influences of von Trier or of Tarkovsky in his in von Trier's films, um, and he's doing that on a very um, on a very like obvious level and same with uh nicholas winding Refn with um alejandro uh jodorowsky yeah you know um, asking, yeah. so it's and when you have that respect for a filmmaker you know and you're referencing material by that person you know the, the, if you have respect for them you're not gonna you're not gonna use their material and 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 fuck it up or, or mess with it right like you're you're going to put your best interpretation to it so it you know it's 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 not really copying you also, know like 
if you're the type of person that does not believe that art is all about building off of what came before you're fucking lying to yourself because <laughs> take any form of art and it's just all that is is like it's just you one person learned from another and they took that and then they kind of built their own thing and then right. that, someone else learned from them and I mean writers talk about it all the time in this way like you know t- trying to analyze the way Stephen King writes versus how um, like Jerry uh, the Tolkien wrote you know like it, it's it's totally different styles but they found it from somewhere and they you know a lot of people tried to write like Stephen King when his books came out like and look at all the books that have come that have been influenced by the Lord of the Rings series like it's just that's all art is art is literally just <laughs> right taking from one thing and and the but it, you look at like we talked about Yojimbo and um, Fistful of Dollars fist, Fistful of Dollars yeah and you, you look at People who are like, what makes that bad, right? And and really, it's because they're so similar that it feels like they're the same fucking thing because they kind of are the same movie. That's actually you know? like more closer to copying than yes, you know. Yes, that's what I'm. That's what I'm getting at. Is like, so, like if you are like homaging the same thing, like for your whole movie then that's actually just a copy but if you're taking scenes that you like or you know and making it your own and fitting it into your own movie you know that that's interesting and that's you know that's why like titanic uh although it's basically the story of romeo and juliet you know it's you know two loves that are from two different families or in in uh uh, in Titanic, it's two different social statuses, so that's an al- already a change right there. That's a huge change. And then they're on a boat, and he, they, there's no poison, but he still, you know, he dies at the end. Um, spo- spoilers. <laughs> Everyone's seen Titanic, though. It's funny because like a fistful of dollars and um, Yojimbo are a little different because it's almost like a, it's a remake in a way because you look it at it feels like a remake yeah. yeah because you look at the way they're shot and Sergio Leone and Akira Kurosawa's directing styles completely different like Sergio totally. Leone the way he shoots and the way he holds time and how time um, stands still and stuff is so different from Akira, Akira Kurosawa that that the films feel differently um, because of the way the director is shooting the film and, and approaching the material, however, the plot is the same. Yeah, I mean, he basically states himself that he like copied it. Yeah, you know, and that, yeah. that was his intention going into it. Was he was so enamored with Yojimbo that he just had to remake it, essentially. You know, <laughs> so. You know, it's, yeah. it, it, it's like the same reason why when you learn like any sort of literature, they have you read Shakespeare because they give you something to build off of. Here, here's something. Right. Use what he kind of did because obviously what he did is still talked about, you know, however many years later. And there you go. Copy it and build your own shit, you know, that type of thing. It's like when you, right. it's like when you go to the Louvre, you know, of course you're going to go see Van Gogh, Picasso, you know, Da Vinci. Oh, Lisa, you're going to yeah. see all the ones that you hear about all the time. But then, for all the art experts, I mean, like they're—I mean, yeah, of course they're interested in that. But they're—but they're going to be interested in the people that influenced those people, and then and the people that were influenced by them, and you know, and and then and then all of a sudden, things get infinitely more um, interesting because 
there's so much there's so much more referencing and there's so it, it, like you said the foundation just mm-hmm. immediately expands it's like a it's like an iceberg uh right like where there you know you see the tip of it uh, but then underneath there's so much more uh, exactly right like, right yeah so you know pulp fiction pulled from all sorts of like you know from like I said from beginning to end it's basically a mishmash of other movies um, and it actually went on to be extremely influential itself and uh, basically every film that came after it kind of you know there's the pre-Pulp Fiction era and then there's the post-Pulp Fiction era uh, basically filmmakers tried to emulate everything they tried to emulate the wordy dialogue the weird like hyper violence the ultra violence and kind of this dissonance of like bad characters you know discussing and kind of doing things that are fairly mundane or like quote unquote normal right um they also wanted to emulate the disjointed structure so that was a big thing that was happening in movies right afterwards was like you know the 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 kind of messing around chrono- chronological order yeah messing non-chronological the, exactly yeah. and you know writing the crime genre wave um so you know talking about copying and influencing there you go pulp fiction was and then did that exact thing you know it's the same thing we talked about with yo jimbo and fistful of dollars where it's like you know or i think yo jimbo and the western genre in general is influenced by and then influence the the western genre as a whole mm-hmm. um so on the finance side of things though uh, it basically propelled independent filmmaking into the spotlight as a legitimate way to make money uh, like cheaply made movies Uh, prior to this independent cinema was basically for fringe artists not like considered legitimate by uh, like producers and studios Um, and then just another little note Roger Ebert called it the most influential film of the decade Um, so you know, it even influenced and allowed what we... Because indie cinema now is like... You know what that is. You know, it's... There's movies all the time that are coming out that are considered indie movies. But it was Pulp Fiction that actually, like, allowed for that and for, like, studios to actually say, like, look, we can throw a movie together cheaply and have a huge return on investment. We don't need these huge movies necessarily, right? Or, like, you know, maybe they'll do their one tentpole film and then they'll do a whole bunch of littler or, you know, smaller, like cheaper films like there, there's a market out there you know? yeah exactly <laughs> so in, uh, Pulp Fiction ended up being influential in independence mm-hmm. and Reservoir Dogs too to an extent right uh, but both of them combined definitely were like it's extremely influential powerhouse yeah because yeah. I think they released Reservoir Dogs in theaters again after Pulp yep. Fiction came out um, oh yeah, no more money wow <laughs> yeah, more money no one cared about it Real, well they did but Pulp Fiction when Pulp Fiction came out Everyone was like, wait, who, who's yeah. this guy? He made another movie before yeah, this one? Yeah, enough, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, pop quiz for you guys. Okay. What movie studio do we have to thank for Pulp Fiction? Miramax. Yeah, I, I, I think it's Miramax. Or no, it, it, Miramax owned by Disney. Yes. <laughs> Disney. Yeah, I, I just... Thank you, Disney. I actually have this written because I want to talk about this as an indie film. Uh, so... Cause yeah, because I think it... I mean, I think it is an it, indie film. You know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Totally. yeah. but it, it's the first... Uh, a first movie that was financed by Miramax when Disney, after Disney yep. uh, acquired it. Exactly. So it was like the first one to like 
get there. So, which is know. really odd when you really think about it. Cause, <laughs> Super know, odd. You know what Disney is known for. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, because I mean, that's why they have other, you know, brands underneath like Miramax and totally. You know, now they have Mar. Obviously, they have Marvel, so that doesn't feel very Disney at all. Which again, I'm fucking pissed that fucking Forrest Gump. Fucking stole the goddamn <laughs> best picture know. Oscar from this Disney. Movie. Yeah, Disney deserves Disney it. Because, deserved it. Because yeah, well, <laughs> Disney deserves everything. He's, you know, you know, he's been rolling around in his grave ever since 1995. I guess when the uh, Oscars were. Right. Do you think he's yeah. getting dizzy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Such a dad joke. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Not even a father. Oh, man. I quit yeah. this podcast. It's over. It's done. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. So in all senses of the word, Pulp Fiction is certainly an indie film. Uh, its overall production budget was... About eight to eight and a half million, which I is heard, tiny. I heard that five million of the eight and a half million went to the actors. That's possible. I know what I. It's a huge cast. It is, and especially I know Bruce Willis was a big name at the time. Um, everyone else was a name, but his was the biggest name. He was the like, biggest actor on the. Because right. like what Lawrence Bender did for this movie was he he had to, to make it fair. Everybody got paid. Yep. Twenty thousand dollars a week. It was the was everybody got paid that rate. However, some people were on the film longer. So yeah. like Harvey Keitel didn't get paid that much because he right. was only on set for you know a certain number of uh, days. So I see the rate was the same for everybody. It was a way to control the money and keep the cost down. Right to have yeah. the bigger actors. Yeah. Um, which I think it's interesting. It, which I think helps the ensemble because you know, like you know, like in the Magnificent Seven, you know, you had the, the infamous Yul Brenner versus Steve McQueen, and how one was getting paid more than the other, and there was like a you know the egos got involved and yeah. stuff. So I think it was smart on Lawrence Bender's part to keep it one the cost down and also just the ensemble doesn't feel like it's one person's movie. You know, exactly. Like each section, right. you know, Bruce Willis's section feels like he's the main character and then John Travolta seems like he's the main character and and then towards the end of the movie you know Samuel L. Jackson's character kind of seems Mm -hmm. to be the main character so right I I thought on a producer level I thought that was pretty it's pretty smart smart yeah Yeah. and then pretty yeah pretty interesting setup and actually to get them to side on to doing that in and of itself was you know that's that's impressive um, yeah, why did Bruce Willis sign on to this project? Do you, do you guys know? Well, I mean, I heard did he just l- love it? He auditioned for uh, John DeFolta's part, uh, Vince Vega, and he was actually, actually yeah. quite upset that he didn't get it. Um, hmm. But uh, Tarantino had him in mind for uh, Butch. Instead. Oh, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah I, 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 he's like one of those people that doesn't like to talk that much, so I didn't get any... Like a direct opinion from Bruce Willis himself as to why, but you know, right. I imagine after watching like Reservoir Dogs, he was like, you know, and he he was a big name at the time. So there's all sorts of people telling him like, look, go to, check out this guy, check out this guy. This is you know the next big thing or whatever. And right, right. And if maybe yeah, maybe he was looking for more independent t- style work because he just came hot up at uh, a Die Hard, right? Uh, or was Die Hard later? I think the first Die Hard came out what, in the late '80s, right? I want to say it was eighties, yeah. Yeah, so 80s. I think he was already on. The oh, so he he had been oh you know, he had been around. Okay, he had been a part of a couple of big budget films right pro- like right before Pulp Fiction, 
they were not considered great movies i don't know if they ever made their money back but they were just they were like you know higher budget films um right and i imagine like if pulp fiction was as good of a script as it was then it it probably made its way over to him you know or his agent or whatever eventually right um well what's i'm looking at his uh filmography right now and he in 1994, he did four movies. Pulp Fiction was one of them. And then he did Nobody's Fool, North, and The Color of Night. Now now I'm looking over at the accolades for these four movies. For Pulp Fiction and Nobody's Fool, he was nominated for a Best Supporting Acting role from the... <laughs> what the fuck is this? Clotrudis Award. I've never even heard of yeah, that. Yeah, Um... So, yeah, Best Supporting Actor. But then Color of Night and North, um, he got the Stinkers Bad Movie Award for Worst Actor. <laughs> and he was nominated for the Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Actor. Oh, wow, he, got, <laughs> he got a Razzie. Wow. So, yeah. so, in 1994, he was nominated for, for two Razzies and two Stinkers. Whole spectrum there. Wow. And then he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for two other movies. And, <laughs> and that was his 1994, man. What Crazy. a trip. What a trip. Yeah. Man. It was nuts. Uh, so the film went on to gross about $220 million. Like worldwide, uh, becoming wow, yeah, yeah, <laughs> eight and a half versus 220. Exactly, yeah, that is quite the multiplier, uh, exactly. That's, um, like, that's like paranormal activity, shit right there, and Blair Witch, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, yeah, that is, yeah. Uh, so it became the first indie film to surpass the hundred million dollar mark. Um, it was initially going to be produced by TriStar, who had bought it. Uh, but eventually they decided against it. Uh, I think the script, for a lot of studios, the script was too extreme or they didn't think that it would sell, you know, stuff like that. Like, they just didn't think it was a movie that could be made. The structure made no sense, um, stuff like that. So Lawrence Bender took it to Miramax, and like we said, it was just bought by Disney um, to see if there was interest. The Weinsteins were co-chair there at Miramax at the time. Immediately fell in love with the script, buying it up right away. And ever since then, I think they've produced every movie he's made since then. Yeah, definitely. Um, the Weinstein Company. So. And just another little aside, I bet TriStar execs, so there's a couple of executives that got shafted pretty hard for passing <laughs> on that movie and, were, and probably either got fired or, you know. Pretty crazy because it's, it's, it's not a normal movie. You know what I mean? Like, if you're a studio exec and someone brings this to your door and like it hasn't existed like that's kind of a ballsy move yeah. to, to make this movie and it's kind of fun to laugh at it now because it's like hey you're stupid like why did you pick this movie but like honestly if i was running tristar no way in fuck i would make this movie like honestly like it's it, it, i mean i i don't think i'd ever run a studio but if i did i would play it safe you know what i mean because like why the fuck would you take a risk like this if, for your job but if you liked it if you like this script, if you liked it yeah then, like which is then, what's so cool about weinstein well you know what i mean yeah yeah it's, it's like like they said only eight and a half million granted if tristar picked it up maybe they would have said okay we're going to do this for five million and maybe the cast wouldn't have been as great as it is but they still right. could have made it. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I'm glad they did yeah. because the film that we have now is, you know. Clearly, it's, yeah. It's epic, it is awesome. Yeah, it's just, it's weird because it's, um, you know, so many movies get turned down. You know, even like La La Land. Talk about that one again. But, uh, oh, fuck. Damien Chazelle shopped that movie around and no one wanted it at all. 
and then uh, after he made Whiplash, then suddenly everyone wanted La La Land, you know? Exactly. So it's like, it's the same script, you know, as before, and La La Land's fucking awesome. Uh, so I don't, you know. Speaking of scripts, the, uh, apparently the Pulp Fiction script was like 230 pages or something. Like wow, uh, that's that's uh no wonder they wanted to do a, a trilogy. Yeah, cause yeah. from it because that's longer than what's in the movie. Yeah, because like I have the screenplay. Well, that's like and two hours or it is different or than four the movie. hours. It is a little different. I'm sure it is because yeah, it's uh one page of script is roughly equivalent to one minute of screen time. Yeah. You know, approximately yeah, yeah. that's not always the case obviously and like for him it's like yeah. you know there were huge if you look at the script there are like huge pages where it's literally just dialogue you know yeah so. it's like white yeah. yeah from what i remember of reading it's been a while since i've read the script but i want to say you know the scenes with uh, mia wallace at the pool um and uh Marsal- marcellus wallace like uh on the phone and stuff like that. Yeah. Those are a little bit. It, it, more, there's more to those, if yeah. I remember right. Um, in the, oh, interesting. In the screenplay, I think. Did they uh, shoot those and just cut it, or what do you think? I don't even think they shot them. Yeah, I mean, I think oh. I think they did shoot some stuff that definitely didn't make it into the movie. Well, yeah, there, of course. There are a few, That's true for all movies. Yeah, yeah, I think there are a few things though. What was great great about Tarantino is that he actually he has the movie in his head pretty like like. He and he, you know, he doesn't. When you buy his movies, right on DVD or Blu-ray or whatever, there aren't deleted scenes in most of his films because he's one of the directors that views if it's not in the film, there's a reason why it's not in the film, and nobody should ever really see it because it actually takes away from the film. You know what I mean? Like to, yeah. to a degree. So he's actually. I, I think that's true for all movies, dude. Yeah. Like every movie, like it's like. Usually the deleted scene kind of sucks. Cause it, and it's like, oh, I get why that isn't in the movie, you know? It's funny. It, like, kills it. Like, like, the only one that I can think of is in Kill Bill. And there's, like, a, like one or two deleted scenes in that that he's actually released. And that's, I think, in all of his films, I think that those are the only ones that I can remember of. Well, po- the Pulp Fiction it's really interesting. Blu-ray that I have has deleted scenes. I didn't watch any of them, but there's a section that Okay, so I've scenes. probably seen those. I just can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> it's been so long since right. I watched all the special features. It seems like that's like the deleted scene is, is, a, is a technique used to like get you to buy the movie. Yeah. You know, like, oh, you can get this on DVD. Like, did you like this movie in theaters? Get it on DVD and watch this deleted scene right. that we slapped together. And most of the <laughs> time, yeah. Sometimes they don't have the effects. Sometimes they're really poorly like edited well, like i feel like they just rushed it and then popped it in the dvd you like know? a lot of the times they're not even deleted they're just alternate so like different yes. like so some of the the words or the phrases are a little different so they're, they're deleted because like he says something different you know like or right you know, i don't know it's weird so, some of them are movie changing um like the deleted scene in scott pilgrim versus the world do you guys know have you guys seen that movie? No. I have seen it. I don't know. You haven't seen Scott Pilgrim? I know. The Edgar Wright movie? I know. I've seen parts. I, I guess it is It thing. is like video gamey. It's totally my kind of movie. Like, I love that movie. But uh, I, I love Edgar Wright, so I, I don't know why I haven't seen it. Dude, yet. it's 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 pretty good. Edgar. I mean, it's way... It's like his most stylized movie, I would say. If, if you, I mean, they're all pretty stylized, but I think I'm looking Scott forward Pilgrim to Baby Driver, most. though. So. <laughs> oh, dude, Baby Driver <laughs> looks so looks, good. Yeah, that's a weird <laughs> It looks awesome. Um, and it has, like, hella, like, on Rotten Tomatoes. 
Tomatoes, it's like sitting at 100% with like 40 reviews. Nice. Like, oh man, nice. It's doing good. I mean, not that Rotten Tomatoes is everything, but when you see 100% with 40 reviews, that's a good. It's funny because. That's usually a pretty fucking good sign. Speaking you know, of Tarantino, that it's good. like Edgar Wright and Tarantino are buddies, and Edgar Wright did one of the trailers for the Grindhouse uh, series. He did the No oh. trailer. Yeah. Oh, oh that's, that's weird. Cool. I'm excited yeah. to watch those again. Those trailers. Yeah. I like those trailers. <laughs> have you seen uh, but anyways, with the shotgun before? N- no, I haven't seen Machete either. <gasps> I gotta watch you those seen both. The machete movies? Oh my! No, gosh. I know. I, I know. Like I'm Hobo a with the shotgun. I'm a horrible person. Hobo with um, the shotgun. Okay. Is, is the whole premise and it's so fucking absurd, <laughs> dude. It's perfect. <laughs> so yeah. Absurd. It's a, I, I wanted. I wanted to say the the end of Scott Pilgrim is um different so like you know he ends up with ramona flowers in the movie but in the deleted scene he ends up with knives chow and so it's like a totally like it makes you feel something totally different and the knives chat where he ends up with knives chow that's the original ending uh but after they tested it with audiences the audiences were like how come he doesn't end up with ramona flowers and so they ended up reshooting that and just because it felt and honestly i'm so glad they did because that movie the movie is basically zelda it's like as close to zelda as you can get and if you don't end up with zelda at the end it's kind of like that's not the point of zelda you you know yeah now i can't see that movie thanks thanks for ruining it no i'm kidding kidding. (laughs) i'm kidding (laughs) dude have you ever played zelda man it's basically they even reference zelda in it too like it's it's but like the story of it is it's pretty much the story of Zelda, you know. I'm told seven. I, uh, have you ever played Zelda? I, I'm not familiar with Zelda at all. Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> dude, you're missing out, man. It's good shit. I actually just beat the new one today, so I'm I'm kind of I'm coming in hot off Zelda right now. <laughs> I just beat it like uh, like right before the podcast, honestly, like like 40 minutes before. Pretty sweet. Love those games. So. I'm going to kind of go back to talking about the casting just a little bit here uh, because that's kind of like, you know, the actors, most of the actors and actresses that were involved in this movie have a whole lot to say about this movie and being a part of it. Uh, So the film was initially supposed to star Michael Madsen in the role of Vincent Vega. And when Tarantino had met Travolta, who actually held a special place in Tarantino's heart, I guess, um, he, he adores his movies and considers Travolta like his favorite actor, uh, he didn't initially have a plan to have him as Vega. Uh, in, an interview with Travolta, in an interview, Travolta said that he and Tarantino uh, spent an entire night talking, and by the end, Tarantino had basically said that he saw Travolta becoming a big name again. Like, he kind of, like, was like, you know, I have this kind of idea for you or this plan for you, and I see you kind of, like, rising, you know, from the ashes or whatever, because Travolta's <laughs> career was kind of, like, in a slump. Um, and he even says that his career was in a slump and that this movie basically, like, put him on top again right um they got him in hairspray <laughs> <laughs> oh my is that God. the one where he, is that the one where he plays the the woman plays a woman yeah. yeah yeah it's the best so yeah he says he got the the best scripts so you know to him that that might have been the best script i don't know that's pretty cool uh but yeah so basically tarantino just like had this idea already that he was like gonna revitalize uh travolta's career 
Uh, basically, after a series of events, the part that was initially for Michael Madsen was kind of scrapped, and he was taken off the project, and it got it was rewritten. Um, and that conversation that Tarantino had with Travolta basically cemented him for the film and you know basically like Tarantino only had a desire to cast Travolta once that happened so that's how Travolta kind of got involved with that part um so after auditioning for Reservoir Dogs and not getting a part Tarantino specifically wrote one for Samuel L. Jackson he actually told uh Jackson that at one point that he was writing a part for him uh, however, according to Jackson, the part was never entirely his because another individual uh, actually had like a stellar audition and basically like they were almost planning to just go with him, the other individual instead. He didn't say who it was specifically. Um, Jackson didn't know this and actually thought that the part was his the entire time. So he was going to like script readings, which were actually auditions, thinking that the part was his. So this whole time, like, he didn't, uh, you know, he just was like, whatever. And I guess Mm -hmm. at one point he walked into uh, one of the readings or whatever, and he was going to be introduced. And I don't remember who who, it was, some producer, one of the people that were part of the auditioning process was like, no, 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 we don't need an introduction uh, from him. We know all of your films, Mr. Fishburne. <laughs> so this oh, guy shit. was like, thought oh, he was shit. Lawrence Fishburne or whatever. Uh, <laughs> so he, yeah, Jackson was not wow. very happy about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's funny. You know, Samuel L. Jackson has a whole lot to say about his process getting into this movie which i think is really interesting uh, so it wasn't until the diner sequence uh, they did a reading for the diner sequence at the end that uh he read when he read for that is when they knew he was going to be that part because i guess they didn't have an ending at that point and he is the one who gave him the ending in that reading so they're like there it is you know I, I think Lawrence Bender took him like aside a couple weeks later and was like told him that you know that, that basically like the part wasn't yours until that point uh, so he was like uh, Samuel Jackson was like yeah that was kind of a good little lesson to learn like a Hollywood lesson you know like can't really take anything for granted you know so they could say you have it but then in the way that the pre-production filmmaking process works like you could be nixed you know the next day basically um and then so the parts of Ringo and Honey Bunny so Tim Roth and Amanda Plummer in the diner were actually written specifically for them and Tim Roth is the person who said that he would basically only act in the movie if Amanda Plummer was in it with him so that's why she's in there too it's pretty funny he said uh, the only reason why he really wanted her there because he thought her, the image of her holding like a really big gun was just ludic- was like ridiculous. <laughs> so he wanted to see it. So yeah, so perfect. And honestly, it is kind of funny. Yeah, like oh totally. And she does such a good job in that role. It's really great. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like how she like they're just sitting drinking, like having a casual meal, and then they you know pulls out the gun, and then she just screams at the top of her lungs, <laughs> and just basically oh man, I just love it so much. Yeah. Like what great contrast great contrast i love how her lines are different like, i was just gonna say that, like, yep. that's just so cool how tarantino did that and how it changes the perception of the 
film. In the conspiracy world of Pulp Fiction, because there's a whole lot of analysis and conspiracies about Pulp, what's in the briefcase, why is it 666, all this shit. The Band-Aid behind The Band-Aid on his head. Yeah, exactly. the Band-Aid, yeah. That, yep. The line change is a big one to come up. And I, I feel like I've heard him say what? that it was like the reason why it happened was because it was from a different point of view. Yeah, that's what I hear too. Um, but I don't what's, know. What's, the, what's, the, what's the line change? I, I think I missed so it. So she's like, any of you fucking pricks move and I'll execute every last motherfucking one of you or something. Right. right? And then right. later in the movie when it happens again, she's like... Uh, she says kind of the same beginning, but it's the last part is changed. She yeah, instead says, of instead of saying "I'm gonna kill every last motherfucking one of you" or whatever, she goes, "I'm gonna motherfucking kill." Or no, uh, it, she, she, it's just a little. The phrasing is just a little different. Yeah, yeah. She says the same essential thing, but it, it is like she uses "motherfucker" in a different, yeah, different place in the sentence. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking it up. But I remember the first time I watched it, um, I. I I had got the Reservoir Dogs uh, DVD and I just watched it over and over and over again and it was right before Christmas and so for Christmas I asked my parents for the Pulp Fiction DVD and I got it and um, nice. in my family I we open up most of the presents that we get like each other and from my parents uh-huh. on Christmas Eve so I got it Christmas Eve and you know went to bed for like just a couple hours and then I just I popped that into my my <laughs> portable DVD player and I watched it like like I don't know you know from 2 in the morning to you know 4.30 in the morning and I like my world was co- this you, you, had a, you had a pre and post Pulp Fiction, right? Yeah, world? like it was like <laughs> was that was that your first boner? <laughs> Close, yeah. It was definitely definitely the hardest boner. Like I did, I, 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 I hadn't realized it, it's never been the same. I hadn't realized it it, 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 it could get so so hard. No, uh, uh, <laughs> how did you watch it on your portable player then? I had to. Was I had it, to you had to I hold had to, it. I had to hold it. Yeah, yeah. Why do you think uh, hold I, it up? I, I had to <laughs> perfectly balanced. It, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but I remember when I first watched it, uh, I remember picking up on that difference and like, oh shit, and and then like I watched all the special features um, that you know right after. I was so I was so just taken aback on just like how epic it was and just how that how yes. after after I, what I because I. I had only heard my grandparents talk about Pulp Fiction. Um, yeah. None of my friends at that time had really heard of it, and then that's all they heard about from me for the next two years. And like, <laughs> you know, so, like I'm serious. Like the like everybody was it's like, awesome. okay, Barton Tarantino again. You know, uh, <laughs> talking talking about it again. But it's just cool. Out of the way, keep it like, in your pants. Little things <laughs> pop up and <laughs> yeah. pop, pop up. Pun, very pun very intended, little things. Intended, yeah. Very little things. <laughs> Not that fun. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I have uh, now that uh, Byron just told us about his first sexual experience. Uh, I'm gonna. I found the line uh, beginning of the movie. She says, "Any of you fucking pricks move, and I'm gonna execute every motherfucking last one of you." And then the end of the movie is, "Any of you fucking pricks move, and I'm gonna execute every one of you motherfuckers." You got that? Yeah. Yeah. So so it's so that's just there's just different a different take different angle and they didn't have one where she said the same thing or do you guys think that was intentional i think it's intentional yeah because from what i've read 
I don't know if Tarantino actually said this, but from what I've read, like Keith said, it was to make the audience aware that you are now watching that same scene at a, in a different perspective. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it was not intentional because, like, it cuts. I think I have the answer, just so you know. Well, it, but, yeah, you go it ahead. It cuts. So she says the same beginning portion, but in the a second time she says it, it cuts to kind of, like, behind her a little bit, and then she says the second portion. So, yeah, I was going to say, because they could have just replayed the, the scene thing again right they could have just replayed the shot again yeah but i i, I kind of get the feeling that it, it well maybe it was intentional because they did cut i don't know I'm now i don't it, know I'm actually it's intentional just because like i mean think about all the like the talent there like you'd think they'd catch that right i mean then again you'd be surprised at what you know people don't catch but i feel like tarantino is you know his films are so well crafted i think even at this early stage in his career i think that in the editing room like he would have had to have caught that in that like he could have like caught it and been like oh well actually I kind of like it and then he could have just played with it you know it could have been like a mistake that he then owned up to like they're saying yeah like, he like, like oh he thought he liked it what was happened intentional but even if it you know even though it wasn't like, that's I what guess I was we'll wondering never, I guess if it we'll wasn't initially intentional but then yeah. he just kind of owned it and made it intentional I don't know go ahead Jacob what's the well potential so answer according to the script right so if you go back and look at look at the script the line in both sections is identical. Oh, shit. It's the same line. So the the way she says it the second time is how it's written in the script both times. Maybe she Um, messed up the line, and that actually makes more sense. It's probably that she flubbed the line but then they liked <laughs> it's not Tarantino's fault no, 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 he's a master no, no, no. I mean, <laughs> it must be honey bunny no no I, then I think that, that psycho. she flubbed the line but <laughs> then he totally I'm, I'm joking obviously but <laughs> and then he liked it enough you know what I mean like, yeah 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 I think you're right I think I, I bet he like saw it and was like I d- maybe he just didn't mind that it was different, or maybe they didn't have another take. But see, the, you know, that's the thing that's too. I'm wondering yeah. because if you remember that shot, it cuts to behind her, but then it it doesn't cut again. It follows her, right? Yes, As she goes. It's a different sequence. shot. Yeah, it's a completely so yes. different setup. That's yeah. that's yeah. I, I I think that's the case. Is where I think it was an uh, actor mistake, but it worked for the film overall better than if it was the exact same line because he probably shot it on two different days you know it's certainly possible so i I think that's really the case yeah is that it it, it probably was on amanda Plummer. i'm not trying to like be like you know women fuck up everything that type of thing but i'm just saying like (laughs) whoa keep i'm just (laughs) saying literally no one was thinking that no one even no one was thinking women fuck it that was only you that thought that oh shit (laughs) we just what were you thinking uh, yeah yeah i'm just gonna Kevin I was tell over everyone here. that they were Kevin. staring at me weird. So, <laughs> oh god, <laughs> Kevin's coming out. <laughs> this is our alter egos. We got Brian over here too. Yeah, I know. Brian yeah. and, and Jacob over here. <laughs> yeah, Jacob. God. <laughs> or Jacob. This is the worst. Jacoby. Y- y- <laughs> oh, yeah, Jacoby. That's what I do when I shoot a basket. You know, Jacoby. Oh, 
what I say. <laughs> Just full of the dad jokes tonight. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. You're going to have listeners who start listening to this for your dad jokes, and then you're just going to have to put them in here. <laughs> hey, I, don't, I got a lot of them. You know, they, it's constant. Man. Gosh, yeah. I mean, it's funny. Yeah, I don't know. There's so much to talk about with Pulp Fiction. Oh, my God. It's crazy. My notes are pretty long for this one, for sure. <coughs> um, let us see. So, I, I, uh, the other thing I really liked in this movie, too, and I, uh, they don't ever talk about this as a stylistic choice of why they did this, but the rear projection when they're in the car. Yes. So, Dude. so super interesting. But that so that happens in the taxi, and it happens when Travolta mm-hmm. is just shot up. But then they don't yep. do it for Butch when he's when he's uh, driving to his apartment. No. So and then I, no mention of it as a stylistic choice why they did that, but it's there. I I have actually read or uh, listened to him talk about it. Oh before. really? Yeah, and and it's yeah. it's it's um he liked it because it it gave him um. He, you know, he's all about nostalgia. So he he liked that look when he would see, um, you know, f- older films. He just liked the look, and it <laughs> gave it that. that kind of heightened um, world. And and you see stuff like that um, in a lot of his movies, like in Inglorious Bastards. Right when you see um, the guy behind the curtain with all the the film reels in a pile, and he flicks the cigarette. Yeah, and the cigarette is in one place but it's turning so oh yeah like, he does that for the axe in kill bill too yeah so like it like it like in real life that's not that can't that doesn't happen like right. it can't happen like right. that but right but it, it's that surreal where we know what's happening we get what's happening but it, it heightens it because it's it's almost cartoony but it actually makes it better i could see that i mean it's part of the mishmash it elevates it elevates it yeah it it just like it's like that square that you know mia wallace you know like don't be such a and then he she oh yeah you know it's it's like those little so interesting like take you out of the movie but they make that scene or that situation more endearing and more memorable and and yeah more referency and stuff like i love the the fact that like not only is it rear projection but it's black and white so like you're seeing yeah. him in color, but the, oh, the projection is black yeah. and white. So it, and it, and it's like totally like the perspective is just wrong. Yeah. you know what I mean. Like the the angle of the camera is just I, I, I love not it. correct. Absolutely and it's awesome. Love it. Yeah, it, especially <laughs> with the t- the um, John Travolta driving. Um, Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, that, it just fits, and then the music that he put there. I mean, I would say it fits. It fits Travolta's really well too, because it's like yeah. dude's that's high. what he meant, Travolta. Yeah, yeah dude's yeah. high. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's high. So the surrounding but even, could be weird. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of cool, and I think that contrasts well with when you know when Butch is doing it uh, too, because Butch is like level-headed. You know what I mean? He's yeah. not. Yeah. He's not high or anything, but but he's kind also he's like, like. Oh, sorry. I mean, he oh, is kind I'll, of high though, coming off the fight. Is he? Like, yeah, he's like, oh, coming off the you fight. Know what I mean, yeah. he's, he's got like, that like just a drama. Oh high, yeah. You know? Oh yeah, because no, because yeah, that when he's yeah, because there is that background when he's coming off the fight. <laughs> yeah, because like as Morelda in the taxi, you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's all kind of. But that one's a little not so much black and white. Is it's more of a sepia, right? From what I remember. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but then they don't have that when he's driving before. But I wonder if they chose to not do that because that whole scene is 
uh, about the tension. Right. You know, it's like, it, and like, if you had a f- that fake background there, like, cause, cause that's coming off of the scene where he uh, kills uh, Vincent, right? Uh, John Travolta's character with the gun. And then he goes out into the, his car and that whole scene becomes about the, the, tensions um of like is he gonna get caught like why are we holding on him and you i feel like you have to see outside of the car in order to do that plus you have to see outside of the car in order to uh see marcellus wallace just kind of walk by which which is an awesome awesome moment in that movie where he just sees him just happenstance god did, so did you so ballsy <laughs> man catch the, so uh, cool the cameo of kathy griffith in there yeah i always wondered about yeah, that like what yeah. the What's so random to do that? Yeah, and, and I don't think she was popular at the time. She was just like an extra and random, yeah, dude. So random. Funny. Yeah, she's like a pre cameo. Yeah, sort of. A bit. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I, th- I definitely think part of it is that yeah the the sequence with Bush and Marcellus Wallace. There's a car accident that they do, so like you can't. Yeah, like the plot of it. Yeah, you can't really do it. But also, like I think it helps build the tension. Yeah, you know, like I sure. think it's more interesting to kind of like almost like your eyes are like dilating while you watch it and you're like trying to like suck everything in with your eyes in order to like you're like what's gonna happen sort of a thing yeah and if it's fake then you know that it can't be there you know the other thing too is that it's infinitely easier to do rear protect rear projection stuff like that for nighttime stuff instead of daytime stuff right because you don't right. need to have as much detail right because it's dark you know you need lights and stuff like that so and if you really think about it with most older films too that take place in cars like that i mean grant okay there are some that do daylight obviously but a lot of them take place at night yeah you know for those reasons it also i thought it was perfect for it's, this film it, it's probably cheaper to shoot though sorry i totally interrupted it, you, but it's probably cheaper i would say to so shoot, yeah with the blue or green screen well, it's funny too. That was probably a big reason why. Like at the too. beginning of the movie, you know, when they're in the car and they're talking about the hamburgers, you know, and uh-huh. stuff like that, and that was all. You know, you could just, you could you can actually see the camera, um, you know, bolted into the car, the side of the car, in some of the store windows. Oh, really? As you drive by, if you look, uh-huh. if you look carefully, you can actually see the camera in a few few quick shots. Um, so that, you know, that was definitely a very conscious decision to have, make that real too. That yeah. that part, so. Um, I definitely thought it was perfect for this film and actually kind of like it kind of helped play up the like noir neo-noir side of things too because this movie's it's really debatable uh, whether it is actually like neo-noir or noir but a lot of people consider I mean on Wikipedia it says that that it is uh, and I think that's in particular is kind of like a <clears throat> you know the vibe was the hard lighting it was kind of chill it was like you know Travolta's kind of going somewhere but then you kind of got this weird conversation with like Butch and Esmeralda she's trying she's kind of like almost trying to figure out like what is it actually like to kill a man you know like she's kind of being a sort of a detective person trying to get some answers um, that ca- you talk about Esmeralda yeah it's funny because that character is actually not his creation he actually saw that actress in a short film called Curdled yeah, yeah. and then she, he liked that character so much that he kind of put that character in. he casted her in the whole oh. fiction and I think I think he went on to produce to uh her film to make Curdle the feature film, right, right, yeah, because he liked it that much. Yeah. She's a cool actress too. I don't, I haven't really seen her much, but I like, I, I, I mean, like, I think I've seen 
her in that, and I, I want to say she was in some French film or something or Spanish film that I'd yeah, seen. Probably her in. Spanish, yeah. Um, it, but uh, but yeah, it's kind of cool. Also, it's uh, the two foreign characters that if you could consider foreign or whatever. <laughs> I don't think there's any more. The only two are two women that Butch comes across. I don't know exactly why that is, but that's just something I noticed this time, too. Because, obviously, his girlfriend, Fabian, is, like, you know, supposed to be, like, French or whatever. Yeah. Right. So. It's, like, English as a second language. Yeah, individual stuff. like Characters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, yeah. What, With I, the that's pooch. what I meant. <laughs> With the what? With the pooch. The poochy belly. Oh, the pot belly? Oh, oh not, yeah. It was, it was a pooch or pot? She, she wants a pot. She that's calls a pot. it, I want a that pot. pot belly. Yeah. yeah. That's it. <laughs> what am I thinking? Why did I say pooch? Well, maybe poodle, French? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know, where that, I don't know where that came. That's weird. You're like a citizen of the world, Brian. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> 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 oh, man. Uh, so... <laughs> I had a okay. This is something that's always kind of got at me every time I've watched this movie, <clears throat> and I feel like there's the obvious answer, but uh, there might be something deeper here too. What was the point of the gimp? Like, okay, he t- he ties the gimp up right when they take uh, Ving Rhames into the back room, and they leave the gimp with Bruce Willis, and they're like, you know, watch him. But they tie him up, and he's got he doesn't. The guy doesn't know how to function the zipper across the mouth, so he can't really warn him for any reason. He can't stop him. So what... There's this long sequence where he's like, bring out the gimp, and they spend this, like, two minutes unlocking this fucking treasure chest or whatever to pull the gimp out, and then he sits there, and then he just puts his hand on the... kind of taps his fingers on his head, and then they tie him up. What? I don't have an answer. What's the point? But I I know that... The gimp doesn't serve any plot. That's what I'm <laughs> yeah, saying. Like, like you, you know what I mean. Like they bring him out. It's it's a moment. I my gut says that it's a reference to something, um, but I think what that part did for me in the movie is it kind of showed what kind of guys these people are. The depravity. Like, yeah, like it just it that was like the first hint that. Like they're into some funky shit, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that was uh, like some really fucked up stuff. And that was that was kind of the only really hint of that. Did they need a character for that? No, but that's why I think it's also some kind of a reference to something that I didn't get. But maybe maybe uh, Byron over here gets. It looks like he knows. No, well, do you know? I mean, I don't under I don't know why he decided to have that in the film besides the fact that he liked deliverance and that that was a way that he can reference deliverance or uh, you know a man raping another man um, you know uh, thing in the thing but it also uh, like you said it, it gives these characters it gets them way more sinister right uh, it just automatically makes these guys super depraved but also the audience is going to have no idea what the fuck is going to happen. Like it puts the audience in a spot where <laughs> that's true. They're like he Tarantino at that point has the audience completely by the balls. He can let go. He can squeeze harder. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> like seriously, he can do whatever the hell he wants. Cause he's got you in this spot, this vulnerable spot as a viewer. Like you can so one, we're the out. gimp. We're the gimp. I mean, it, what you're it, saying. kind of in a way, yeah. in the sense that, uh, however, 
with like how BDSM works and stuff like that, like there's actually a possibility that the gimp uh, is there for his own, for, um, with his own free will. It it it, it kind of hints in the movie that it's it's not so quite, and that he maybe has a, a mental defect or something. But but a lot of how, how submission and, and and how BDSM works is that that's true. You you live your life as a as a slave, as as yep. a sex slave, or you will do anything you know um, for your master. Um, mm-hmm. and you will walk around the house every day for four or five days in a week um, dressed up in something like that you know and and that build up when something finally happens that sexual release is supposedly greater and and you can go on and on and on and ask me why I know all this stuff no uh, <laughs> oh no oh. It, I just have a fascination with that stuff anyway um, and for my own like personal films like references not porn films or anything but I, I find that all interesting so that's the only reason right. why I know but you, you I, it was that that weird film you did with Evan Christopher and Jacob Bevilacqua, right? <laughs> yeah. Like that that kind of felt like that kind of gimpy kind of vibe almost. Like yeah. they had a really strange master slave relationship. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Because like it yes. was his like his his brother, his stepbrother, or whatever. It was it? Yeah, but it was yeah, it was his brother yeah, in the movie. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But like, uh, yeah, I just find it, so it, yeah. I mean, I don't really have an answer for that, but I think. That's what makes that sequence so it works so well is that like there isn't re- there is no real reason to it. Yeah, you know, like that's it, true. But at the same time, I mean, it just it it works on so many levels. It allows Butch's character to you get to see more that like not only is he a boxer and that he can that he's a re- rebel because he didn't do what he was told to do, but he you know when he's picking up the 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 chainsaw picking up the 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 hammer picking up the katana like at that point you're like oh fuck like he he's he's down he's down mm-hmm. to he's down to fucking kill when he needs to right yeah. and then he does and then that allows the whole scene um with uh John Travolta you know um later to not be so like i can't believe he did that cuz it's just like well fuck like he's capable of that you know like so everything right. everything even though there's like no real reason to it it still works. It still works in that it does, like we were talking earlier in the in a previous podcast, how it allows for further character development um, without having it's showing you and without telling you. That's true. I just kind of yeah. what I was thinking was like it, it must be it's a character thing. Yeah, really. It's, I mean, it's odd. It, it tells you, you who know? the pawn shop shop guys are. Exactly. You know what yeah. I mean? That and that's and it shows you like hey. You know, so it's maybe it's not so surprising that Marcellus Wallace is getting raped in like the later scene. You know, right. it's like not. You can like you get a sense that that might be happening. You know, yeah. it's already uh, implied, and then when the sounds start from yeah. the other side of the door, you kind of already know what's going on. Yeah, <laughs> it, it might yeah. be a way to soften the blow a little bit of because when they actually open the door, it is pretty like. You know, it's a pretty intense scene, right? So, I I I, I wouldn't say. It softens the blow. I would say it it more uh, gets gets the audience um, uh, interacting with the movie. Like I, I think when when they see that and they take Marcellus Wallace out in the back, I, I guarantee you the brains of the audience is like. What fucked up freaky shit are they doing back there? You know what I mean? Like they're immediately like imagining all these scenarios, and then you know the the worst thing that can happen is what's happening. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, oh, the, that thing that you didn't want to happen, and because it it takes a long time for him to go all the way up, and he hears the the crying. It does take a long time. And then it time. holds. It's like, and it, there's that really 
it's it's a it's a moment that is really funny in a lot of movies but in this movie I mean, it's a, a very black comedy moment where he's going through the pawn shop and he's like ooh a bat Ooh, a chainsaw. Okay, not the bat. Ew, ooh, a chainsaw. This, is, and then he like looks up and gets the katana. Um, but like even that, that's like a straight black comedy moment because like this guy is getting some sort of he's like getting raped or sexed up, and you have no idea what's happening, and you you think some weird fetish thing is going on. But here's this comedic moment in there. It's like just black comedy gold yeah, right there yeah. in that in that moment. It's black perfect because it is because it's like literally like that's yeah no yeah here's sure. this funny thing matched up with this fucked up shit and that's kind of for me that's what black comedy. Well, is. it's funny because like too like when you deconstruct that scene too like you know how people when you first when they first saw it like they were like oh my god it's so graphic it's so violent but then when you really look at it like the way he stabs the two guys and stuff it's, it's so fake. So cheesy, yeah. It, like it's like it's, it is it's so. Yeah, and I, and I think again, I think that was done on purpose. Like I, I like it, it's like such like a, it's. I, I mean, you almost look at Yo Jimbo. Some of the things that happened in that yeah, movie look yeah. a little, you know, cheesy or whatever. So it's kind of like you know his own semi homage to like uh, like Japanese samurai films or whatever. How they yeah, how they right. fight in those movies. Do you think it was like, hey, we have, like, no money for this, but I want him to stab him. So we could do it one of two ways. We could either do it really crappy, or we could do it crappy and have it be an homage to a movie. And I feel like that's what they did. <laughs> they did, all right, we're going to do it crappy, but it's going to be an homage. <laughs> and I feel like that was, like, the – I feel like that's, like, what – the 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 Bible of this movie is if if there was a Bible it's like if we have to do it bad reference something you know and that's like what is kind of so cool about it because it feels everything feels so intentional and I wonder if that's how they made it so awesome <laughs> you know I bet that maybe they probably talked about that. I mean, yeah. I'm guessing. I don't actually know. Uh, that's, a, that's my that's my gut. I mean, I think Tarantino, I mean, like like we all know, you know, just due to his video archive time and just the fact that he loves so many movies and watches so many different types of movies, I mean, he can mm-hmm. he can he can on set reference, you know, anything and be like, "Oh, yeah, have you seen, you know, Rio Bravo and when, you know, the guys, you know, when Dean Martin starts and Ricky Nelson start singing, like I want that kind of feel to, you know, this particular right. you know like i feel and everyone's like no <laughs> <laughs> all right I'll pull up a clip <laughs> yeah i can't remember the director of the film but in an interview he says that yeah bruce willis's character was based off like some obscure character in some obscure movie from like the 50s or something you oh know, yeah like, yeah that's true yeah it's yeah like, there is some yeah prize fighter film something yeah. yeah so i mean every character right. in the movie that he has is based off of a movie he's seen kaitel was based off of actually i think kaitel's character is based off a bigger film but i can't remember that one either the, the idea of the cleaner or whatever coming in stuff like that and then like the whole christopher walken scene with the watch um is a a, a, a reference to deer hunter you know um the fact that christopher walken's character is you know in vietnam and and you know, comes back to the U.S. and all fucked up. You know, and mm-hmm. Deer Hunter, and then how he comes back and in this movie from Vietnam with the guy's dad's watch and the kid, how movie baggage um, helps oh, that yes. scene um, <clears throat> and stuff. Hey, this is a little side note, but uh, did you know while he was doing that scene, um, 
Christopher Walken was doing another film, so he had to prepare for that film and the big monologue sequence for this film. And I guess because it was such a, he wasn't used to reciting monologues for such a long amount of screen time, his mouth would get dry. So he was putting like straight Tabasco on his tongue. And the producers were thinking that it was some Mm. sort of method acting, right? But it was actually allowing him to salivate. Wow. Yeah. So when you actually, when you, when you, when you watch that scene again, there is this weird thing that he does. Like you can hear like every, I swear, like you can hear every little, like, you know, the saliva in his mouth, like when he's talking, at least I can, if I feel like. I'd have to re-listen maybe, to maybe it. Maybe it's like some, like subliminal <laughs> just because I know that, but if I feel like his voice and like the noise that his mouth makes is like heightened, you know, it's weird. That's that's a trip. Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't know that, but I want to go back and, and listen to it again. But I thought it was just kind of funny because we were talking about method acting before too, and just like like, right. like I was like, oh, that's interesting because I wouldn't have really pictured Christo- Christopher Walken as a method actor, but I guess it ended up not being a method thing. It was just a he just needed to more saliva in his mouth so he could actually recite the whole <laughs> the whole monologue, you know, without fumbling. <laughs> that's actually the- okay. Yes. Here, I'll, I'll take this one. Uh, I'm glad <laughs> we brought up method acting. Do you want to talk about that right now? E- or do you want to talk about Do you want to talk about your thing? Uh, I thought you were going to jump into that. I wasn't going to jump into that yet. Okay, you do your thing. We'll do mine after. Because <clears throat> what, okay, what we should have done, I forgot you had that prepared. What we, what we should do is uh, try and do fact corrections at the beginning of the show, I think. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, that's probably a good idea. Um, should I just do it now then? Just fuck it? Sure. Okay. Um, fact correction. So last episode, we spent probably like half an hour talking about different types of acting and and what a method actor is, which is true that a method actor isn't necessarily someone who just goes out into or who, who, who is Lincoln for, you know, for two years straight on and off camera. Um, method actors are welcome to do that, but that isn't what method acting is necessarily. Um now we call we ended up calling that the Meisner technique, right? So we're like, okay, the Meisner technique is when you go out and like you're the character on and off screen, and uh, I'm the one who said that, and I couldn't be more wrong. Um, Meisner is actually um, pretty much the exact opposite of that. So My- Meisner is basically saying the idea of that is you repeat your lines over and over and over and over and over again, and then uh, you kind of react to things in the moment you react off of your environment you react off of your uh the other people who you're playing with essentially it's kind of more of a stage thing um so i just wanted to clear up that meisner is in fact not what we were talking about and um the fact that people are the same character on on and off screen that's just something that method actors do um you know that they are welcome to do but it's not necessarily considered method acting and method acting there's like four different types of method acting and uh one of them is meisner so it's oddly confusing and i don't really want to dive into that because we're not a podcast about acting but i just wanted to clear that up that i was wrong cool and that's that's interesting though yeah that's i had no idea yeah (laughs) yeah 
Cool. Shit. <laughs> yep, I'm glad. That, that's it. Sweet. So we had it wrong. <laughs> yeah. We spent a whole ton of time talking about shit we really didn't know anything about. Well, I mean, <laughs> what we were talking about is still relevant. We, it's totally relevant. The important, yeah. The the important thing is that method acting is not just being the same character on and off right. screen. That's not what method acting is. But what we were t- in fact, they don't even teach that in method acting like schools. Like if you're learning a type of method acting like Strasburg or uh, Stan Slavisky, I'm learning things. Um, but the the fact is, is that that's a common misconception about what method acting is. Well, it's cool. Um, but that, yeah. It doesn't affect what we were talking about, though, really. I mean, like... Cause, no, like, it's just a name re- is wrong. Yeah, in reference to the, what yeah. we were talking about, like, it's all good, but... The, yeah, the only thing that's different is Meisner is literally not what we said <laughs> it was. So if you just t- ignore the fact that we were calling that Meisner the whole time, we were, like, on point. Like, Sweet. 100%. Good. We're, like, fucking masters of acting school <laughs> styles. So we did know what we were <laughs> talking Just so you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're the best. <laughs> um, okay. Sorry sorry to interject your point, Key. I hope you didn't lose your, your thought there. My, my thought was just that... Uh, it, for some reason, never connected in my mind, but obviously in that monologue, they're talking about how they had to hide the watch up their ass. And then later on in that same portion of the movie, you they deal with what's his name being, you know, getting raped butt in the sex. So like, yeah, I, I, for some reason, those two things never connected <laughs> in my mind. But here he is. He's like laying out the foundation for a butt story and <laughs> he plays it to the extreme end, you know, like by the end of it. So it's pretty interesting, actually. Like it's. um just kind of that connection and <laughs> so to speak um <laughs> nice I, I don't know where i'm going with this <laughs> but i feel like there's something to be said about that like there's you know i mean butt sex is or butt rape is I can't talk about this. I'm sorry. I just can't. I I'm just. I'm not even sure. This is a horrible scene, but I'm totally smiling right now. Like I I just. I I just. I'm trying not to laugh, and I I just can't talk about it. First, it was butt sex, and then it was butt rape, and how like those things are so completely different. (laughs) True. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it is butt rape. I know, but but butt rape isn't butt sex. Well, it it is, but it's it's, forcible. Yeah. Like like uh, yeah, yeah, it's. Yeah, they yeah. have different connotations, clearly. Yeah. Clearly, um, <laughs> that's amazing. But yeah, I like that right. that talk. that connection. That connection is interesting between the gold watch being up, um, like they had to like hide it in their butts in order to give it to Butch's character. But then later, he went. He goes back for the watch. And something goes up someone else's butt. Like, well, it, not, there's just kind of... Not only that, he goes it's, back... It's kind of poetic. Well, yeah, what? He, well, not only that, there's another connection. He goes back to his apartment to get the watch that was up his dad's ass. And Christopher Walken's ass... And John Travolta is there shitting. shitting yeah, I was just going to say, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, he's like literally shitting. Like, like, like. <laughs> yeah, there is like, there is like a butt thing going on. There's also something... Um, uh, with John Travolta and bathrooms in that movie too, yeah, because uh, it happens in, in uh, the first. No, it happens. Okay, in Butch's story, he comes out of the bathroom. In the last sequence, uh, the guy comes comes out of the bathroom to shoot at him and Jules, but then he's also in the bathroom when the diner heist first takes place. So like, there's something about him going to the bathroom that like shit happens. Yeah, cause he's. 
<laughs> nice. <laughs> he he's in the bathroom three times in this movie, which is a lot for. A oh, that's right. In he's in movie. the he's in the bathroom in in the first sequence because he's talking to himself in the mirror. Well, he's, Mia yeah, and he's also in the bathroom, right? Um, uh, when he's at Eric Stoltz's house getting the heroin, right? No. Isn't that in the bathroom? They're in the bathroom when they go to uh, Jimmy's house because they're wiping their hands off. Okay, yeah. So is it four right. times in Jimmy's house? Four times he's in the bathroom, yeah. And yeah. something goes wrong every time. So the first one is that she ODs, and then in, in yeah. the other one he dies, obviously. And then in the third, in the last sequence, he's there with Jules, and Jules gets on him for wiping his bloody hands on the towel. But then also in the diner scene, you know, the, the heist happens and shit goes down, but he's sitting there, like, reading a book on the toilet. So Which is like, the same book right. that he... He's reading when he gets killed. Oh, is it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, is funny. that really? Yeah. And there's a reference. That book is a reference. It's a French book. It's a ref- there's a reference to that in the film as well. Um, so he probably carries this book around with him then. Presumably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It's, which is funny, too. It's like this weird thing where, like, you know, you wouldn't expect these criminals to be cultured like that, you know? That's it's, the thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, That's what makes it so cool, yeah. though. That's why yeah. everyone was so awestruck by it, because they're like, dude, these guys are going to fucking offs a couple of people who just fucked over their boss. And here they are talking about <laughs> his trip to Amsterdam, you know, I know. McDonald's, and then, like, taking the boss's wife out. Like, what? And they're talking about like why, yeah, like why McDonald's or like how McDonald's is different, you know, in in the other. But then he's like, uh, no, I don't eat Burger King. (laughs) Like he's almost like (laughs) he's almost offended. You know what I mean? And it's like it's so like it's so specific that it feels so real. Like there's so much specificity there. It's awesome because Tarantino wrote a bunch of Pulp Fiction while he was in Amsterdam. So that's why I think he has John Travolta. Oh, is that why he included that? Yeah, because yeah. he, he was experienced all that probably. Because he lived there for like at least six months. Yeah, a long at time, least. yeah. Yeah, because he was he was shopping Reservoir Dogs around. Not shopping around, but he was going to the festivals in Europe, following it around, but then also writing Pulp Fiction at the same time. So. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, normally, I mean, just the fact that it's specific is is cool because uh, really when anything is specific in a movie that it's like better <laughs> you know totally. what i mean like if if something is just generic or bland or vague that kind of oh usually just kind of sucks but this was so specific throughout the entire movie that it it just you know i think it's a better sweet. dialogue too because like what okay what any other filmmaker or anyone who presumes to know what a who a hitman is they would just assume when you're going to do a job the only thing you talk about is the job and like you're cleaning your gun and you're checking your gun out right. and you're and you're like I, I fucking just want to kill that guy i hate this guy it's like yeah that's you have to like emotionally get into it sort of a yeah thing. but in reality yeah. like they're dudes like they have lives Besides, it's I their mean, job. it's yeah. their job, right? And then they have a life outside of the job, so it's not like they're just sitting there always talking about their. They're not robots, right? They have, they're dating people. They're they have friends, presumably. Like they have opinions, opinions. about culture and you know so, social. Yeah, exactly. Taboos, you know, like they. Yeah, I don't eat pork. Pork's a fucking <laughs> you know filthy animal. I don't <laughs> eat filthy animals. Like I know, a little like. 
I would need sewer rat because it's a fucking gross animal. You know, like just weird <laughs> right. stuff like that. You better, know, <laughs> what does he say about the pork? He's like, it better be a charming pig or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Like a very handsome. It's got to be one motherfucking charming pig for that to happen. <laughs> yeah, <to me>. yeah. <laughs> Can't say it like the way he delivers it, man. Yeah, it's like, I oh, know. Uh, well, yeah, he just he's got it. Oh, he I was gonna say it. too, just a fun another fun little fact with Travolta. I guess he was the one who came up and improvised the "I shot Marvin in the face" line. <laughs> Sweet. Because in the script, I guess it just says, I shot Marvin. And then Travolta was like, he like, yeah, I asked Tarantino for permission like to, to add in this section. Because he's like, I knew how I was going to say it already. It was going to be in this way that was like, oh, man, I just like stepped on someone's like toe. Or like, oh, shit, I just got some food on me or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. The way he says it is so like, oh, shit. Like. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, shot Marvin in the face, like like he's almost right. like he, he's maybe have done that, you know, in the past. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like fuck, I did yeah. it again, like man. It's, it's like spilling mustard on his shirt. Exactly. Like, that's God what, that's damn what it! it felt like, like yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess uh, in the script too, Marvin was actually supposed to be shot like in the throat, and there was supposed to be this whole sequence where he's like gargling in the back, and they're freaking out over that. And then oh. I can't remember exactly why it switched to face. It's but, funny because like that actually kind of echoes the first, you know the opening scene in Reservoir Dogs when you know uh, Tim Roth is shot you know, just bleeding out shot in the back of the yeah. car you know and, and then he's like you have to deal with that for the rest of the movie you know him just like slowly dying mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like that's like a very Tarantino thing to do is like slowly kill off someone like rarely does someone die right away but in Pulp Fiction I feel like like Vincent dies like right away, right? But he gets the, shot like crazy g- beforehand. Though. He he get yeah, but like you know uh, Bruce Willis's character, he like gets fucked. Like he gets in a car accident. He gets like he gets punched out. He gets you know beaten with the shotgun. He gets shot at. Um, but but you know you you look back at Reservoir Dogs and that's like. People die slowly in that. Like, no one no one really dies instantly. Like, even Tarantino's character who dies at the beginning, he still gets, like, shot in the head, and he's, like, still, like, bobbing his head, like, unconscious. Like, he's, like, still, like, trying to drive. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, he's, and he just slowly dies. Um, but th- that contrasts with Jackie Brown, where people just die kind of instantly. And I wonder if that's because he didn't actually write Jackie Brown. I feel like. Well, he wrote it. He, he adapted it from a book. Or yes, uh, that yes, he. Yep, that's what I mean. Is uh, that it's an adaptation. But like we said, book. Jackie Brown is also way more subdued than his other. You know, even like Pulp Fiction is way hyper yeah. real. It's like it's like way more like mature. It's like his best. This <laughs> <laughs> is underrated. It's underrated God. masterpiece. Oh, it's God. like like you don't know Tarantino's until you've seen like Jackie Brown. Actually, <laughs> you're way too good at that voice. <laughs> like, like I've like I've literally heard that exact like thing before. I mean, I told I, I I said that in the last podcast, but I've totally heard that before. Yeah, you know, it's just like it's, it's the highbrow like, Tarantino movie. Like, I, like yeah, I just I, I, I just, <laughs> Highbrow Tarantino just, movie. I just threw up a little bit in my mouth. That's actually yeah. fucking hilarious. <laughs> I would say that, uh, and then like his more recent films might be considered like Inglorious Bastards might be his quote other quote unquote like highbrow, whatever. Right. Like, well, like Inglorious Bastards is actually my personal favorite of his. Um, 
I think I think that's a case for a lot of people. I mean, Pulp Fiction is... Is it really? It's hard to... Because I always yeah, think I would Pulp say, Fiction is every... Like, that and Kill Bill to me, I think everybody's like, oh, that's... Oh, uh, yeah. Most Bill, I was going to say Fiction. Kill Bill is probably most yeah. people's I think it's... Uh, no, favorite. I think Kill Bill... The first one is more, more like generally, but I think they're rated lower generally. It's like usually it's like Pulp Fiction and Glorious Bastards are like the top two, and then the bottom two okay. are usually Death Proof and Jackie Brown, with right. some form mixture in between. Reservoir Dogs is probably like number three usually. I feel like. Yeah. Um, yep. I mean, like, is that is that like people's favorite or what? The ones that like just did like did well. Uh, like favorites, know? yeah. Because oh. like it's just oh. it's almost every. Everybody, like th- that I talk to, their favorites are always, unless they're highbrow Tarantino fans, uh, <laughs> it's, it's always Pulp Fiction or Kill Bill. And, like, the ones that are, like, they, they, and they, a lot of people just haven't watched Death Proof, and their least favorite would be, like, Inglorious Bastards and The Hateful Eight. I would say Hateful Eight. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I honestly, I, like, I actually, like, love Death Proof. Like, yeah, I know. I've seen, that, I've seen the movie, like, yeah. Ten times. I've seen that movie. I think the most of all Tarantino movies. Like <laughs> I think it's. But I I am not going to be that cock face guy who says that it's his best film. But I I gotta think that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, nothing wrong with that. I mean, nothing wrong with that. I have a hard time just rating his films in yeah, any particular no, really, order. Yeah, yeah. Like, that is yes. It's, it's that's hard for me true. to rate it. It's just I guess I find myself watching Inglorious Bastards more, and a part of that is I've seen. His other films so much before *Inglorious Bastards* came out that yeah. now I just kind of gravitate towards *Inglorious Bastards*. Um, right, but it it's kind of like way up. It's like so good. Yeah, *Inglorious Bastards*. Because like it's know, even it's almost good. more of a spaghetti western than you know *Django Unchained* and *The Hateful Eight, You know, and then in a way it's done. And also, you know, especially with the music and stuff. And also, I just growing up. I mean, I pre- most of what I grew up on were westerns and. Um, you know, uh, man on a mission, World War II films from the fifties and sixties. So um, I think you know the nostalgia aspect of Inglorious Bastards. I just really like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say Kill Bill and Jane. I really like Django actually, though, because I just I'm a, I'm a sucker for like the samurai stuff, and I'm a sucker for gunslingers. Yeah, yeah, you know? sure. oh, yeah. I like sure. I like the gunslinging aspect of Django and whatnot. Did Did you watch the uh, Dark Tower trailer? I did. Yeah. Bounce today? What? What? Did you, I didn't. I haven't watched. But what? Are you, what? Are you, are you excited? No, I personally, I didn't, I didn't like it. I honestly, I thought it was really. Uh, I had an odd tone to it. Like, like the. I've only read the first book, so I can't speak too much for the series. But from what my understanding is from other people, is that the feeling is so strong of, of, of the world and the and the tone of the books is so strong that having like a. Uh, fantasy action version of it that's like like it's the color is like really bright and it's almost too vibrant um is it kind of adopting like that YA it totally got the YA feel the the main character they're following is uh I think it's I think it's Jake or Jacob in the novel instead of Roland so like yeah they're Jacob I think I, I I don't know how I, with with a Y. <laughs> Sorry, I'm referencing the. I'm pretty sure it's my, Jacob or Jake. No, you're right. I, I'm referencing my name in there. Jacoby. But like the the series. Yeah, Jacoby. <laughs> the series follows Roland, the gunslinger, and in the and and the movie is supposed to be like a like an after the series thing. I think because like. Oh. 
it's like after the first well okay book, so I think. so spoiler for the series uh at the end of the series the seventh book he walks through the door and it it cycles again so it's just all a continuous cycle so i think what they're saying is that the series happened and then this is a start of a new cycle oh this is a new cycle yeah oh interesting i think is how they're playing and so that's why they're like they're able to play it off as one movie instead of trying to cram a bunch of books more than multiple they probably are depending on the the success of it and i was like when i first saw the casting i was like sick dude idris elba love that actor good actor yeah Changing Roland uh, into a black guy, cool. Matthew McConaughey, I think they made him look cool. I think the the dyed black hair is weird looking, but you know, as a man in black, I can see it. Then when you hear him talk in the movie, it's kind of like his Matthew McConaugheyisms sound or whatever. Eh. Right. And then Idris Elba sounded really weird. And then the the, the trailer was just weird. like, yeah. Uh, is he the devil? No, he's worse. And it's like these really cheesy uh, lines that are like it's, like... it's almost like on the nose. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's like on the nose. Though. Yeah, and to, it feels like trailer dialogue. And then to me... Like built for the trailer. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And then to me, it's like the, his actions as the gunslinger looked really weird. Because like the gunslinger is supposed to be... It's supposed to be so natural that he doesn't think about it like the way he handles his guns and reloads and, I like that one and stuff part, like that. Though, when he's like reloading super fast... He's like loading. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's throwing it. See, that's more of the gunslinger that you picture in the book. Because like the way he describes it in the book is like his fingers, his fingertips have been singed and scarred because of cycling the bullets so fast and and doing it for so many years. Hmm. Um, And then, like, I don't know. Idris Elba just felt weird in it as him and whatnot. It's just the trailer. That's what I'm... That's the thing. It could just be the trailer, but the the coloring for the trailer, I I expected it to be way darker. It wasn't as quite... It's still like pre... They still need to go through and color it. Yeah. Like, I doubt... It's a trailer. I doubt that's the final look of the... Speaking of Tarantino, I've noticed that a lot with his trailers, um, like, especially in Glorious Bastards, how the coloring of the the first initial teasers and stuff completely different than what... The actual finished, right. you know, film. because it's not. It's a. It's a separate com- production company that does the trailers yeah. usually. Yeah, yeah, and they probably, they probably. Co- I mean, they obviously color it themselves, but it's questionable whether or not uh, Tarantino has any say in, right. in what that coloring exactly. looks like. Exactly. Yeah. You know? That's why the Fantastic Four trailer went through multiple, like literal from orange to green iterations. Because that that happened for a different reason. Actually, that wasn't because of the trailer house that cut it. That was um, because they brought in a new uh, director. Uh, to finish off the project. Oh, I and see. They thought they thought it should be green because it was, or they changed the color for some reason. It like felt felt too alien or felt too something. Oh, okay. That movie, I see. That movie wasn't very good, but <laughs> it was it was it was a mess. Dude. Yeah. It was like it was honestly like the biggest mess that I think I've seen. Like you know, like the room is. This other film that that, That's on a that is level, just, yeah. that is literally a mess, but like this is like a studio movie. It's like the biggest like studio movie mess I, I think I've seen. I think that's is, why most people happened. just want them to give the rights back to Marvel and get it to and Marvel. get it back in that MCU. You know, yeah. Um, Which I I like the first one. I didn't mind Silver Surfer. I don't remember any of it, but the, this new one just 
suck balls, dude. It's the whole <laughs> YA thing, man, because they even tried to go for a YA vibe with those characters, you know? like Sort of. Yeah. And they all look really young, and especially, like, Kate Mara or whatever is, like, this tiny chick who's got, like, a baby face, you know? Like, they're all yeah. so young-looking overall. So, I don't know. I yeah. never saw that movie, though, so... <clears throat> I, didn't, I didn't mind the, the youthful thing of it but really that that's not where like the mess was the mess was really in the tone of the beginning is like like this dark like creepy like really painful kind of tone which is really interesting like it's it's basically the tone of chronicle because it's the same filmmaker but it's like kind of like that troubled um kids like doing stuff um sort of a thing but then the end of the movie just feels like they are trying to sell toys so like suddenly like the guy saying like it's clobbering time and (laughs) and like the whole i like it feels like a producer kind of came in and finished the movie to try and sell to or the studio came in and was like all right how can we sell toys with this like how can we turn this into a more of a studio film less of like a art See thing, yeah. Which first part is pretty hard. <laughs> well, it's unfortunate, but it's also like why I can't really do superhero movies because it's like you have way too many people working on on the film, and usually producers do a, an amazing job of fucking up everything. You know, so, <laughs> I don't know. I've never really been a fan of superhero stuff. All what if that like much. Tarantino uh, did like that's, a superhero, that's like <laughs> his own superhero type? Well, in a way, he kind of already has. Like Django is kind of like a superhero. Yeah, Django. I that mean, is, what's her yes, face and Kill yeah. Bill's essentially a yeah, superhero. Yeah. You know, but yeah. it's it's still different. They're more yeah. like the action stars than superheroes. Right. You know? Yeah. More of the yeah yeah. It's different because it's it's like it's Tarantino yeah, and, doing and it. The, you know, like that's what makes it different. You know, it's like his dialogue. It's his. And they're on a mission. Action. You know? Like the bride is, yeah. is is after Bill, and Django yeah. is after you know to get his wife back, and so they're, they're it's yeah. a, you know revenge you know type of thing. Yeah, it's like a revenge. But like that, I don't think that would ever be like a Marvel movie where you know. He's like going. Someone's going to go kill someone. Like I don't think that could be the I mean, premise kind, of kind of Deadpool, but that's a little different. Yeah, that that one is. It's, a, it's still different because it's different. Yeah, but that's like, isn't that uh, Sony or whatever? Or wait, uh, no. 20, uh, Pretty sure it's Fox. I think it's I Fox. Think. Fox. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Like that, yeah. It's like a Fox one, so that's a little a little bit different. Yeah. So. Yeah, in terms of the Dark Tower, though, I don't know. I mean, the problem with trailers, right, is that the trailer might not represent the movie. So who knows? It's probably going to be worth a watch regardless, and I'm sure it's going to make a ton of money because everyone, you know, that's a pretty beloved series. So we'll see. I've I've been trying to read it, but I cannot find The Gunslinger at the library anywhere. It's always checked out. That book is super good. It's super good. Yeah. I I gotta read it. I've been meaning to read all those, too. I kind of want to read them all before the movie comes out, so... Yeah, me (laughs) me too. I guess... But now I know the ending, so it's not even worth it. Thanks for (laughs) that, right? (laughs) It's all about the journey, man. Yeah, it's all about the the spoiler bullshit. No, yeah, that's that's why I was just sitting here like, I don't care. Yeah. You know, I don't even know what the fuck that even means. The series has been out for, like, decades. Like, 
I know. At a certain point, it's like, fuck you, spoilers, you know. (laughs) (laughs) You either watched it or you you didn't, and you're either going to watch it or you're not. And it does. That's the thing, too, is all the people that are going to watch it, uh, all the ones that have read the book, I mean, if it's it's a remake or whatever, there's going to be the same thing. You know, like like Lord of the Rings, right? We all know how it ends, but we're still going to go watch the movie, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, speak. Oh, go ahead. Even in in Lord of the Rings, like, what's what's interesting about that is, like, I could argue, even if you haven't seen Lord of the Rings, I feel like everyone. Everyone knows like the end just based on maybe like the first 40 minutes right, like yeah. everyone knows Frodo's gonna get there but like how we get there is so fucking fascinating that's the thing I've never and said about the struggles spoilers. are super crazy you know what I mean it's like like how does he get like kind of like Game, Game of Thrones right Game of Thrones when you hear like oh man I heard that um, you know Robert Baratheon dies you know it's like Really, what's important is how they die. Yeah. That's what you know I'm what saying. I mean? Like yeah. when when Rod Stark dies, like okay, yeah, he dies, sure, but how he dies is like what's it, what makes it like that's what I'm saying. Yeah, because the repercussions with of that affect like a whole bunch of other all the other characters, which we don't necessarily know what's going to happen with them. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> I mean that's the thing. Yeah, I never, it's fascinating. That's why I've never understood spoilers because. We know what the plots are and how movies will end and how stories end. Yeah. Because we're just familiar with stories. So, yeah. you know, most stories in an are action movie, the like, the hero's going to save the fucking day. So <laughs> yeah. what? Like, it doesn't ruin the fact that you can still watch the movie and enjoy the journey from getting to point A to point B. I, like, I think most people, or a lot of people watch movies and all they're thinking about is plot. And I, I think they're still affected by things like mood and, like, the emotion of the characters and even, like, the character's journey. Like, I, I still think they get affected by that, but I think most people walk away from a mo- movie saying, just thinking about the plot of the film. And I think that's where, like, at, like audiences are... I mean, I I love audiences. They're they're great, but I honestly I think most people don't think about movies in the same way that that we do. Like all these like complex things that are like happening oh, during yeah, no, during the sure. thing. But I think most people just think about the fucking plot. And so yeah. when they hear like, oh, Bruce Willis um, ends up killing the uh, oh my god I'm blanking on his name, but the the guy in Die Hard. Gr- Fuck sick. I, it's not Gruber or whatever, uh, is it? Hans Gruber. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it was like when he. If you find out he kills Hans Gruber, I feel like some people are like, "Well, don't need to watch that." But we all <laughs> you know, know like, that the fucking bad guy's gonna die. That's what I'm saying. I know. That's what I'm saying. I know, but I think most people like want still want that. The only like, time that a spoiler it. might not be okay is like a mystery film where you're, the point of the movie is to piece together everything, see if you can figure it yeah, out. Yeah, like right? Gone Girl or whatever. Like if you, that you don't know the twist. That see that you know? in the sense yeah. that right. Might that's a that's a fuck spoiler with your or like viewing, but fucking uh, Dumbledore dying. Like that's. That's a spoiler. Yeah. You know? But you could still watch that series and still be like, okay, so I know he died, but how? You know what I mean? Like, what was the circumstances that led up to it? Like, I don't know. I feel like that's different because it's like... I mean, for the record, I'm just going to say, I mean, I agree with you. If you found out that he died... You know, prior to, and you'd never read the series. Yeah, in that sense, that's because that series and that character are a little more like beloved than normal right. or whatever. So, because he's he's like a teacher, you know. He's like right. a yeah, he's like a you know, almost a father figure to to Harry. 
and so when uh, your father figure dies that's yeah i feel like that's a that's a big exactly so it, it's big i mean in that sense yeah fine like yeah that's but i think you're right i think you're still right like it, i i just disagree with harry po- with that harry potter aspect of it but like if someone well, I guess someone dying dying in a movie, that's that's kinda like the most dramatic thing you can do to a character in your in your movie is is kill him off. And that's it's always hard like, you know, when they killed Han Solo off in, you know, Force Awakens, like that was like a very dramatic moment and how he died was uh, made it even more dramatic, you know? Right. But yeah. both both were a big deal like how he died and the fact that he died because he's such a beloved character yeah exactly so i mean yeah. i'm not saying that there are, you can know like there are times where it does matter for spoiling things yeah. but like 98 percent of the time it doesn't really matter because there's only like six plots that you can really use <laughs> and we all know the ending of every plot right. because that's just how stories are told especially <laughs> studio movies right that's like when you when you go on reddit and you're like you know they, the the latest trailer is up for the new Marvel superhero whatever. In click on the comment and <laughs> most people are like, I don't need to watch the movie now because the trailer just gave away everything. And it's like, but you knew what the plot well, was before you watched the trailer. Like, duh. yeah, it's like, well, that's. I mean, come on, guys. <laughs> like, just it's not ruined. Yeah, the movie isn't fucking ruined for you. Like, you're still gonna watch it and you're still gonna enjoy it. And, you know, trailers are built to be um, manipulative, yeah, you know? Exactly. Like, I, when I was in high school, I analyzed the shit out of The Dark Knight, the trailer for The Dark Knight, because I thought it was the coolest fucking thing ever. I was like, wow, this movie looks fucking awesome. Um, and then it was, which was super cool, because um, my, you know, high school brain was, like, right about something for once. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, I analyzed the crap out of that trailer and I looking back on it or not looking back, but like after watching the film, I realized that all the shots in the trailer are in reverse, not, not like played in reverse, but like it starts with the trailer starts with the last image of the dark Knight, And as it kind of progresses through the trailer, it's like going back in time almost. Oh, that's cool. So like, yeah, so it starts with the end and like ends at the beginning of the trailer, which was, and it also uses shots that aren't in the movie, um, which is also really cool. Like there's the shot of um, uh, Two Face, um, where he's like the bombs are going off in the street. There's like a close up of that that doesn't exist in the original or the in the final movie, um, probably just because they got a lot of coverage or something. But right. um, yeah, it's super trailers uh, my point is trailers are really manipulative and my brain thought that i knew the story of the dark knight when I, after i watched the trailer and then i watched a movie and was like all those things that i thought would happen happened in random orders and all those things that i thought were like these huge moments like that my brain had stuck together were actually like not at all that at all so it just you know they're manipulative. It's a, totally. Especially with movies like that. It's like, dude, you know what's going to happen. Bad guy shows up. Something happens. Let's introduce the superhero. 
superhero is going to have this really, really low point created by the bad guy, and then he's going to overcome that point, and he's going to defeat the bad guy. <laughs> Spoiler for every fucking yeah. action and fucking superhero movie you, uh, that's ever going to exist. <laughs> you probably shouldn't be a screenwriter, too. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not. I want to direct anyway, so maybe that's just the thing. <laughs> but actually, it would be better that you would write those. You know what I mean? Because it's they're not going to be like all the other. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 It, it, well, hopefully. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> or, or if you or if you meet like, I met these guys in Arizona, Tyler Riggs and, and Dave Miller. Um, and Tyler Riggs is an awesome writer, and they're comedy guys, right? Like they like funny shit. They like funny like spoofy stuff or funny superhero things. They're really into superheroes. Um, but Tyler can write like a motherfucker and Dave can direct like a motherfucker. And like the two, they just met like, like two years ago, like right before I came here. And, um, they are just a fucking great team. And I, I've talked to both of them individually and it's like, this pairing is like so perfect for them. And it's just such a perfect combination. So if you can find that person, man, who can just heighten your shit and wants to make the same shit as you, but has these other skills, you yeah. know, that, that's the dream. That's what I need. I mean, you know what I mean. I, want, I need a. I need my like creative marriage. That's what. That's what I want. No, I think someday filmmaking. Someday. Yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of filmmakers always have some form of partnership. You know, at some yeah. point, whether it lasts forever or not, it's still for a while. You know, exists. Even, even just like writers will have writing partners. Yeah, and they'll and they'll split. Um, you know, payment on for projects right. like they'll go back and forth on on shit yeah. You know? yeah it definitely helps if you can find i mean that's the whole trick of filmmaking is surrounding yourself with the right people to like do what you know and all have the same goal that makes sense um yep you know and then again this is like uh tarantino and lawrence bender for you know a while or whatever you know See, they were like sally menke the editor yeah in, in exactly him. yeah like, oh, that pairing yeah. Works, you know, works so well, and I think you can definitely see their work really start to really get to really their collaboration. Really, it's, it's Pulp Fiction. You can tell their collaboration is so much more. There's a familiarity there, yeah. Versus um, yeah. Reservoir Dogs, you know, because Reservoir Dogs, you know, first film, obviously, so like. They're not going to know each other exactly what she's not going to know exactly what he was going to want, but you can see in Pulp Fiction that there's already a, a familiarity with you know with right. taste and that they're and then when oh yeah well that's it yeah okay. yes but then when you know after she dies and then he gets a new editor you get the fucking angel. <laughs> So fucking okay. angel. When we eight for eight, when we hit the hateful eight episode. We should just not talk about the angel at all. That should be the one episode where it doesn't come up, right? And then our our little posters that we do for the movie should just be the just angel. The angel yeah. Like screw the other movie that we're watching. What, what Django? What is it? Is it Django? Django. Yeah. yeah. Screw Django. We'll just put the angel up. That'll be the reverence. Um. So before we shift, I mean, I feel like. This movie doesn't really need a review necessarily. I mean, it's pretty. Yeah, if you had to pick one of the films that we watched this week, what would you? Fault Piction. What would you pick? <laughs> 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 <That's> 
<laughs> you should be a screenwriter. Fuck it, dude. I'm so clever. Um, no, but like, uh, but yeah, like, it's Pulp Fiction. Is there, dude, is there like, an aspect? This is a better question. I guess, is there an aspect of this film that you guys didn't like? There you go. Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Let me think here. Uh, <laughs> we're such fucking. I don't know. Like, can look you look at us. We're like. Your own question? I mean, I, I honestly can't right now. I can't think of any part that I'm like, man. However, I guess my biggest complaint about the movie is the fact that it ended. Because <laughs> like, like I, you, you want know, the it, you want the original script. Because it ends right, and it ends really well. Um, but I want more. You know, I wanted more when it ended, in the sense that I loved it so much that I I would I could have easily have watched you know another hour and not I would not have I don't think I would have been bored. I mean maybe, but yeah. like if he had kept a similar a different pacing or something happened, I don't know. Like it would be tough, you know, to add another thirty minutes or an hour into that, and because pacing wise it it's different it's a different film but I, I you know I, I wanted more because I just loved it so much but I can't right. I honestly I can't think of any part that like bothers me or anything in the film I think maybe the weakest part for me would be like just on a personal level would be like um, Butch and his girlfriend in their hotel room and like yeah, I mean I I, I understand the, the scenes and I, I their dynamic is cute and stuff like that. But it's just the one part of the film that I don't have like a soup like I'm not always like you, you have like a half chubby on for on that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like a half. Like it's not it's not a full it's, yeah, yeah, like it's not it's not my favorite part of the movie. But it's not like a yeah. complaint or anything. But that's what's the, what's the one part of the movie that kind of lulls for like lulls. God damn! I can't even. God, talk. you hated Pulp Fiction. No, dude. I love Pulp Fiction. You hated it. Oh my god! Don't even say <laughs> that. Don't even put hate and Pulp Fiction in the same like hate fiction. Like, oh man. No, I, overall, I love, yeah. Pulp I, can, I can honestly can't really think of anything in particular. Honestly, yeah. Me neither, man. I I loved. Everything well, like me, the lighting, you feel bad. It's fucking Not that cool. I didn't like that part. I just it's the no, right that part <laughs> for me too. Has always been lesser of the stories. <laughs> I love this. I love it because <laughs> you're supposed to be like the Tarantino guy. And, no, I and know. Now, that's the thing. Is like I am. and you're the one who's like no, not, ripped up. I, you barely, you like barely scratch something <laughs> on the movie and. Well, like, I, cause I, <laughs> and we're like, oh, we liked all of it. And you're well, like, wait a second. <laughs> it's not that I didn't like it. Me too. It's just the one part that... It's my least favorite part, I guess. I mean, I like it. And, right. I, and I, I, right. I wouldn't want it to be not in the movie. Like, you know. And right. It's funny, too. This is a little different. But if you, if you were to edit that film in chronological order, the movie would end on Zed's dead, baby. Zed's dead. Which yeah. is interesting. Oh, so yeah. That is done that, too, where they have... They cut it together. They rearrange yeah. it. Yeah. Ah. Which would be weird because okay, it would start I, on I, Christopher Walken doing the monologue. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Oh, yeah. That'd be that'd be such an interesting yeah. way to kick off a movie. Okay. Okay. I have one actually. I thought of one. Um, something that I didn't love was Tarantino in this movie. Really? I, I did not. Yeah, I didn't like. Um, Jimmy. I wasn't a, a fan of 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 how he portrayed Jimmy. 
You know, that part was actually between, because there's two characters in the movie that wear robes. So mm-hmm. he, when he initially was casting Eric Stoltz, he was like, which one would you want to do? And then it, it supposedly, according to Stoltz, you know, he says and he says himself that he doesn't know this for sure, but what he thinks is that uh, Tarantino ended up with Jimmy because to direct the scene, the the... Uh, OD, the stabbing, the stabbing scene. scene was too much yeah. to act in and direct, so he chose to yeah. do Jimmy and, and Stoltz ended up being Lance. Yeah, that's what I heard too. That he wanted yeah. to be behind the camera for the the breastplate scene. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, on, honestly, that would be if I. Ha- I mean, if I had to complain about something like that, I just something about and it's. It's nothing analytical. It's just clear. My personal taste, really, is just something about how about Tarantino's acting that just doesn't do it for me. You know, even in From Dust Till Dawn, like the the movie he's in with George Clooney, like he just doesn't. Tarantino just doesn't do it for me what at about all. His, like, like there's just something about what it. About his cameo in uh, uh, Desperado. I I, I don't I don't I've actually haven't seen Desperado. Oh, what? What? You haven't seen Desperado? Oh no, dude! You haven't seen Scott Pilgrim, so yeah, you can shove it. Way like more into like like film history. It's Robert Rodriguez's like first film that he did after his little film. Who's who's Robert Rodriguez? How do you say his name? He did a couple of small movies called Spy Kids. I don't know if you heard of those. Wow, I love Spy Kids. Yeah, I figured. Come on, no Spy Kids. He hasn't seen Machete though either. So wow. No, yeah, I haven't seen Machete, yeah. But I've seen Sin City. I've seen that, okay. and I've seen... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty uh, pretty green You've with my Robert Rodriguez. Right? Oh, yeah, I've seen Grindhouse. Oh, hey, yeah. back there. Yeah. Oh, hey, Tiff, you're on the podcast. <laughs> you want to say something to what our What is this, three, three episodes in a row? Two episodes in a row? Two, two episodes in a row. You're, what? What'd you just say? <laughs> You like cheese? Dude, my girlfriend loves cheese, too. I like cheese, too. <laughs> Dude, cheese is the best. <laughs> I love good Royale cheese, man. cheese. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not that long. This one's shorter. This one isn't three hours. We're just about to wrap up. It's okay. Yeah, we're fin- it's two and a half. Maybe, unless we edit it down. No, I don't Which edit. Which we might... We don't edit, though, so you're in this one. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, She's our our co-star. She's the... um, Oh, God. What is she? She... she, We'll have to come up with a name for for Tiffany (laughs) as a co-star in this. Earlier, we were talking about having, um, like, some, like, women guests... uh, on their perspective on some things. What were we talking about? It was in a podcast we were talking... Um, was it about... We were talking about Magic Mike and... Oh, that's right. Where uh, we have like a, 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 a female-centric episode where we talk about movies geared towards women. Yeah, it'd be interesting to have... I don't know if they'd be... Inter- like, if your guys' girlfriends would be interested in doing that. But that w- that's an interesting thought or an idea to have, like... Oh, my God. Know. Dude, what if we had Tiffany and... Um, oh my god, I'm totally blanking on your girlfriend's name right now. Caitlin. Kate. 
Caitlin. Oh yeah, it is Caitlin. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, Caitlin. Um, what if we had them just do an episode? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like instead of us three, like we just have them, you Dude. know come on and do one or something they don't know each other wouldn't that be weird (laughs) so they don't know each other so like they'd have to watch like some random movie and then we'd be like all right tiff like do you want to okay we'd have to have one more do this like or like i don't have a girlfriend could i do you have have, you have a sister right i do have a sister maybe keith do you have a sister maybe we do our sister my sister would never do it though my sister lives in san francisco so could i like make like hmm you can talk in you a can put a wig on yeah. <laughs> the whole time. That's you, you, you get to talk. In a I think you just. I don't know if I can. I pull think that he off. just puts a wig on. Like okay. I think. What I just do? Is that's it. Talk and then in no post, even I'll go through and I'll change the pitch of your voice so it sounds higher. Yeah. We'll oh, we'll, fi- we'll fill the room with healing. I don't know that if you're I can, doing the podcast. I don't know if I can do that. But hmm. Yeah. Healing healing would work. I wonder. Hmm. Let me think. It could be. It's an interesting idea to play around. If we did like a special that was like thirty minutes or something, yeah. You know? What if we just got three random people that that like we know who would want to do the I podcast do and just had them do an episode? We should do like okay. what if your what if your brother came on and then like I had one of my buds like from down here do one and then Keith whoever you know or something like I feel like that could be I think this needs to be a separate podcast where we just have random yeah, topics yeah, and yeah. just bring, you know and the three random people or whatever you know it could right. be recurring people but essentially the grouping is always like random yeah you know and just right. it would be cool though to have like some guests every once in a while you know just to, oh we're totally playing yeah, yeah. Yeah. whether it's male or female just like have guests you know every once in a while and stuff would be cool right we should we should get Nate on here because Nate has a huge knowledge of, of movies especially like independent and art house movies like he's fucking the yeah. shit. And then my my buddy Dave Miller was like, "Hey, if you ever want to talk about Batman, bring me on the show." Because he fucking loved Batman. <laughs> like he's like, Batman is awesome. So we could have him on if we ever did a Batman. Well, maybe when the new Batman movie comes out, and whoever. Yeah, when uh, uh, when Bat Justice Girl, Batgirl, or Batgirl, he talked about Batgirl or uh, Babe Ruth. Oh, different Bat. Never mind. That was yeah. No, that's bad. Uh, <laughs> that, that's, not even, that's not even a dad joke. Was that I a baseball just, joke? That, that, that was there. just like that, that, that wasn't a baseball even a joke. joke? That, was that was a mom joke. <laughs> Damn it! Oh man, it was it was like a kindergartner's yeah, joke. You know, like, like when, you know, when, it, when a yeah. kindergartner, you're like, tell us a joke, and they just say boogers. You know, <laughs> boogers. I guess that. So sums up my joking ability when it comes to jokes <laughs> like that <laughs> our podcast I, I swear our podcast is for like like our target audience is probably like 14 year olds who like hearing about boners because we talk about boners like every episode <laughs> i hate ya movies and we're targeting ya audience for, we're like yeah we're like a ya <laughs> podcast but we're not though <laughs> no we're like, not yeah. <laughs> we talk our stuff is a little more like i mean the way we talk and what we talk about is a little, yeah, a little more adult right. sometimes, um, especially where we're, we're going to talk about. Well, I feel like Keith, since Keith is helming this podcast, is he's sort of the leader. It kind of has to be rated R because that is your, that is like your taste, man. That's like, 
you're a rated R kind of guy. So we'll do an episode just called the the G episode. We'll watch two movies that are G, <laughs> and we will refrain that'd from saying. That'd be Jacob's. Oh my god, Jacoby's Jacoby's episode. I would love that. That would, that would be. <laughs> and we have to talk in very like like you know, oh my very, god. Uh, I don't know what, the, what the, like basically talk like you were in church or like your grandma standing behind you or something. Yes. You know. Yes, like very politely, yeah, very politely, and intentional, and intentional. Excuse me, can, can I make a point now? Can, can, I, can yes. I add to this, please? I am sorry that I interrupted you, oh, Brian. Oh shit! Uh, I mean, oh, you failed oh. already. <laughs> Damn it! Uh, we should have um, some. Com- okay, like, so yeah. if we if we did that jar episode, every time we say a cuss word, oh, we'll that do a would little, be like, good. Clink, you know. <laughs> we should do a swear jar. That's hella funny. Oh, um, I, if we did the G episode. We'd have to do something like two movies that are painfully G-rated, like painfully for kids. Because like if we watch like a Pixar movie, like most of those the, are PG, the emotion, really. I think right. Oh yeah, even or like a G-rated kids film that like has you know adult hidden adult content. Because you know even in like Hercules, like there's they. <laughs> they in Hercules, like which I never caught as a kid, but they they go and watch uh, Oedipus, <laughs> the the play. They go and watch wow. Oedipus, and and um, they're coming back and they're talking about Oedipus, and, and and Hercules is like, I never expected that ending, like because <laughs> like, an, an Oedipus, oh, uh, if, if you're familiar with that content, Oedipus is about a guy who um, he he gets detached from his parents at a young age and he comes back, um, and he ends up falling his in love with his mother and he sleeps with his mom yeah. and that's where the whole idea of the oedipus complex comes from which is like you find your mom sexually attractive there's the reverse of that which is the electra complex and that also comes from some play uh, of, of some kind but anyways <laughs> just fucking they just have this weird like have sex with your mom joke in the middle of hercules <laughs> and it's just like it's clean it's a clean joke you know yeah it's a g-rated joke because like they're not, no yeah, they're, gonna, the little kids aren't yeah. going to know what that is. Yeah, but okay. So I guess my point is, if we did this G-rated episode, it would have to be like the Caillou of <laughs> of a movie. You know what I mean? Like just only, like only for kids. Yeah. Like n- no, like nothing for us at all. Like only, you know, like Scamper the Penguin. Have you guys ever seen them? No. That should probably be what we watch. We should watch Scamper. <laughs> I've never even heard <laughs> of that. Heard of it. We should. We gotta watch. That'll be the one we watch. Also, it's, it's like painfully for kids. I also want to do it. An episode where we talk about like a, a super G-rated one, and then do Sausage Party as the two <laughs> yeah, back-to-backs. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> is is there a food-based um, movie Veg- like Veggie Tales? Veggie Tales. We should do Veggie Tales. Oh, that's perfect. Oh, shit. 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 Put it right oh down. my god, that is that <laughs> is like, excellent. Like, it's like that's like com- completely embraced by like the Christian. You know, it's totally like, Christian. Oh, that is perfect. Yeah. Oh my god, Ve- almost Veggie Tales is almost more. I mean, it is food, obviously, but like the style of animation, like ever everyone's saying, like oh, um. Uh, Sausage Party is is like a Disney animated film, but like it's like adults, but like they have that style. But really, it kind of feels the style feels more VeggieTales to me than it than it does Disney. <laughs> yeah, it did yeah. have the animation. There's something like about how they put it together that that feels less Disney. Most definitely Pixar. Most definitely. Well, I wanted maybe it's just the food. Yeah. Well, yeah, it kind of looks like it too. Um, I wanted to shotgun some facts, little fun facts about Pulp Fiction, but I think we should cut it here. 
Um, there's so many cool little fun facts about Pulp Fiction. I know we could still. I, we sure, didn't even I mean, get to talk about Jackrabbit Slims at all. Right. Yeah. And, you know. So. But I mean, we'll, we're still going to talk about Tarantino. So I mean, for the next couple, more couple couple yeah, more episodes. A couple more episodes. So. Tie that in there. I'm sure because there's connections right. between you all know, of it. Yeah. All of them. So. Okay. Well, uh, if you have any questions, topic suggestions, opinions, or if you have any fact corrections, go ahead and send an email to btbfilmspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're always trying to learn new things, so we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can also visit our website, btbfilmspodcast.wixsite.com, slash back-to-back, kind of long, and eventually it'll change when we get it all you know set up properly um yeah we have a domain purchased i think it's back to back films.com okay or back to back film.com one of those one of them's a porn site oh great Suckers. great pick the right one <laughs> oh, Dang it. good luck 50 50 <laughs> flip a coin Even with our website we had to bring it back around to like boners basically are you kidding me oh, well, well, porn 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 doesn't have to be boners dude i don't know what the kind you're watching but I mean, <laughs> now we know what type you're watching. <laughs> it doesn't have to be boners. Oh, it can man, be. That's, awesome. that's uh, what you want. Okay. Well, <laughs> God damn. God, we're the I worst. I realize it was. There. We're gonna know that that was the case, but we'll be very. Specific. It's not actually. It's not. It's not a. It's okay. Not, okay. Well, that's I good. made that up. It's actually not pornography. It's. It's some random, fucking like. I don't know what the fuck it is. All right. Some kind of ad agency or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, you can visit the website. Eventually, we're going to have a section that will let you. D- <laughs> Here it is. Episode eight. The Byron Jacob connection right now. <laughs> I <did. laughs> I'm at a loss for words. <laughs> did I God, take your it. breath away? Jacob was like... Some sort of like ad agency, and I'm like seeing right through this shit. <laughs> He's like, I don't know. It's like some like ad agency. I'm like, uh huh. You're just pulling that out of your ass. No, I'm I'm not there. I'm looking it up. Wait, <laughs> okay, back oh to back films. <laughs> anyway, you can. Well, eventually, we're gonna have a place where you can. Comment. Oh wait, back to back film is open now. Yeah, we should be back to back films. Oh, well, we have that one. Oh, that's fine. That's all we need, then. That's the one we have. Yeah. Oh, that's see. fine. So, BTB... F- yeah. So, eventually, it'll be btbfilms.com. Uh, but... So, yeah. And it, also, we're planning to have uh, kind of like a comment section uh, or some place where you can kind of discuss each week's episode and be able to listen to previous episodes. Uh, those previous episodes can also be found at soundcloud.com slash btbfilms. Uh, all the ones we've... All eight we've done so far are all up there. There, or will be up there eventually once we do uh, have this one too. Uh, our intro and outro music was composed by Curtis Skinner, who can be found at skinnyproducing.com. Uh, next, Skinny. <laughs> next week, we'll be covering Kill Bill Volume 1, Volumes 1 and 2. Uh, so make sure you watch the films to be a part of the discussion. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. And hey, I just found this site. It's. Um it's hot buttered content. That's what that's what they call it. And they have BTB films, but they had they shoot event videography and edit it together. Fun. Wait, you just said we have BTB films. I'm confused now. No, we have back to back films. 
BTB films. We have BTB is films. It's different. Oh, also. We, ha- we have back-to-back films. That'll be our domain but, name. Yeah, but BTB oh. films, that's the, like, agency that shoots. And for some reason, BTB... <laughs> their their website is called Hot Buttered Content, and somehow I don't know where they got BTB from yeah, for that. Weird. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense, but they do branded content production, red carpet. Like here's here's they have a little video of the. We can just cut all this out because this is what stupid, a quality ending right here. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thanks for listening. That ends our masterclass on Tarantino. <laughs> thanks for listening. <laughs>